Nation, what's up? We're we're rocking. We're rolling. It's Thursday night, live streaming, drinking whiskey. Which, as you guys know, this month I've been doing that only drinking on Thursday live streams thing. So I've really, really been looking forward to Thursdays. She's trying to keep it reined in still, though, on Thursdays. I think it'd be a little easy to kind of take it over the line. We're not going to take it over the line. We'll keep it reined in. Um, but tonight we've got Sam, who's actually just waiting right now. I'll bring her into the into the stream in, in just a hot second. But Samantha Montgomery from Bardstown Bourbon Company. Um, she's joining the stream, and we're going to talk about her journey in whiskey and all things BBC. Of course, we have Brian with us, not Drew, at Abandoned Bourbon. Say hi to the people, Brian. Hello to the people. <laughs> thanks for thanks for doing that, man. Uh, <laughs> let's get started. let's get started with uh, uh, our 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 bits, our usual bits. Um, first one being, well, how how did hunting go for you this week, Brian? What did you score? It was, it was a great week. Um, anyone who anyone who um, has been following on my videos that I've been posting, you obviously you know you probably came to Interproof and you are here right now because of Drew's video, but. Um, you know, that I was able to find and then did a video immediately last night of the Russell's Reserve 13 years. So anyone who's watching the stream and did not know that um, after this stream, feel free to, to pop over. Just click my icon in the chat or whatever. Pop over there and watch the video where we uh, talk about the Russell's Reserve 13 year. Which I have not watched that yet, but I really wanted to because you know that I'm just crazy, crazy jacked for that that release i i want it so hard like, i just want that one um which i'll get to that anything else anything yeah. else did you score brian uh this past week i don't actually know um i got I some remember. stuff in the previous weeks but um i want to say that's probably it it yeah probably it i picked okay. up some of those uh from from our last time talking i was looking for those honey starlight rise mm. and i was able to able to find some of those so nice Excuse me. Um, I well, Wisconsin is a wasteland right now in terms of fresh, fresh bourbons. Um, but it'd been a while since I had a new riff single barrel, so I just bought one off the shelf, and it's a it's a good one. It's red fruit, um, raspberries, um, and well, hold on one second. The red fruit really stood out to me. Popped it right away. This is the neck pour. Um, really sweet. What I, I love their stuff because even though it's four years old, I get zero useful graininess. I'm like, I've almost never had it in a new riff pick, especially the the single barrels, not just the picks. I'm talking about the standard releases. Anyway, mm -hmm. pick that up. And that was it. That's all. <laughs> I made a few That's stops, all. but I saw Jack. Absolutely Jack squat. I almost bought Evan Williams single barrel today because that's another one that I didn't, I haven't had in quite some time and it's kind of nice to just have it around but i had yep. bought two evan williams bottles for the live stream we did with jason mash and drum so i'm gonna drink those first as of this week i did see stellum so the stellum rye and a stellum bourbon mm -hmm. have landed here in town i contemplated picking up the bourbon but i didn't um and then i talked previously before that doc swinson's alter ego is in town and it's even in, it's in more places now so they're hopefully readily on the shelves here in louisville so i might I might pick one of those up and, nice. and, uh, and pop and taste and review, but we'll see. Sweet. Not yet. All right. Well, before we do, what are we drinking? We'll bring in Sam because she's actually. Yes, please. Drink she's drinking something that Nation will find surprising, I think. 
All right, so welcome hey. to the show, Samantha Montgomery from Bardstown Bourbon Company. Um, Sam, again, thank you for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. I know you're busy on the road, you know, hustling whiskey during the day, and then here, here we are, like, hey, can you talk just a little more whiskey, please, in the evening? <laughs> I love it. It's uh, it's more of a lifestyle than a job, as cliche as that sounds. So if, if I didn't love it, you know, what's the point? Yeah, no, that's, I try and bring that approach to coffee too. It kind of ebbs and flows a little bit. You know, there are times where it's like, yeah, I just love this. I wouldn't want to do anything else. And there are times like, geez, I'm tired. <laughs> like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a little bit tired, but um, especially working for a, a place like Bardstown, I'm sure the, I mean, it feels like the excitement is really palpable whenever you talk with anybody there. Um, I assume that's yeah. your experience as well. Yeah. You know, I think that is, is a lot of people's first impression when they come visit the distillery or, you know, do a tour, grab a bite to eat in the restaurant is that it, the, the vibe, the energy is very positive. Everybody has a hand in, in the brand. So it's, it's very easy to feel that when you walk in mm. or when you talk to any of us on, you know, zoom or YouTube or whatever it is, we're just excited to be part of the story, you know? Mm. Yeah, we'll get into that a lot because um, that's been basically what I said. It's been what I've heard. You know, we talked with, uh, oh my gosh, I'm so terrible with names. Dan, oh my gosh, that I got scared. Danny Bartstown. Yeah, exactly. Dan Calloway. I had a great time chatting with him and he's just like so jacked, so high on BBC and his work and the, the vibes there, the culture there. Mm -hmm. I really want to try and get your a lot of your perspective on that as well. But first, let's tell the people what you're drinking. What's it's public confession <laughs> time? I'm drinking wine uh, because I'm staying <laughs> in my brother's place, and that was it was that or a truly. I didn't stock up. Uh, I didn't take inventory when I got here. So. I'm I'm 100 percent here for Trulies. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm 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 on board with it. I I think there's nothing better on the golf course than a truly, and that's because I have a weak stomach and I don't handle beer well. Um, I. I feel the same way, except I don't play golf. It's it's more of a poolside kind of. Thank uh, you. Drink appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of nation a, appreciates that. Well, half of the nation would would prefer that I never mention golf again. The other half of nation is, mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of the reason why they they love they love it. I mean, I think half the people come here for golf content. Honestly, <laughs> I, I would be curious to do a little poll for the chat. Let us know if you are pro golf or you're anti golf. I know who's going to say what. Um, of the names I see there, but there are more names in the chat that I don't know. So go ahead. Eric, I think Eric says he's golfing right now. He says he's on. <laughs> I bet he is. All right, uh, Brian, what, what's your drink? I got to pour a little bit more, do a taste analysis of this new riff, which is what I'm drinking. Yeah. But what are you? I'm, I'm I'm drinking the Jefferson's Cognac Rye right now. Ooh. So, but he gave me a sample of it. Um. You know, it's um, it's got interesting flavors. It's pretty light. I think it's in the the '90s proof, right? I think, um, but um, it's got some good sweetness to it. It doesn't really drink like a rye. It's pretty, it's pretty sweet, and then it's got some like some citrus, some brightness that I feel like has to be that that cognac influence. Um, it's got a little bit of coffee notes to it too, so it does have like a little dark tinge to it, but it's just really drinkable. So I, that's something I. I figured I wanted something to drink tonight, but I wanted something easy and didn't have to really think about. So it is one of those, it falls into that category. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I mentioned raspberries on this green apple, honey. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just love new riff so much. Um, 
Getting back to the golf thing, we blew up the chat with that one. No. Paul G says nice. golf, coffee, and bourbon are three favorite things. Nicholas West, golf is great. John Perkle, I like golf, but golf doesn't like me, dude. I'm I I hear that. I'm I feel that uh, at my core. I'm sorry, I get you're subject to the same. I'm I'm really sorry. I get the oh, shame. No, I love it. Uh, Matt Schwanda, I splurged on a bottle. This is not golf related, but it's a good comment. I splurged on a bottle of Bardstown Discovery Four to celebrate the birthday of my daughter this month. Wow, this stuff is insane. Yeah. Yep, yep, it is awesome. great. Um, <laughs> Matt, Matt, oh my gosh, I love Matt. Uh, too fat for golf, but thinking about foosball lately. <laughs> foosball is amazing. <laughs> I love like I'm ping pong is great, but I like the team element of foosball. Andrew Beck, I love golf, golf except when I hate it. Uh, Elsa says I only golf for drinks and good company. A lot of golfers. Bottom line is people come is here for golf too. I don't remember why I'm on this anymore. <laughs> we'll move past it. <laughs> what about Top Golf? I think I would go to Top Golf. Sam, have you ever done Top Golf? I've done um, something like it, not exactly Top uh, Golf. But, you know, yeah, like the driving range, though. I think that's super fun. Yeah. It's a good like anger management. You know what I mean? There's something very satisfying. I've never been on a golf course, like, but I've I love the the driving range. The golf course itself can be anger inspiring, whereas the driving range can be anger management because you're just unleashing fury on a white ball. Yeah. Um, but yeah. when you're trying to get that white ball to go someplace specific, it can be deeply frustrating. <laughs> it's a battle with the self. I think that's why I like it so much is like, I feel like every time I play golf, I'm like coming to grips with who I am as a human being. That's deep. Yeah. That is, yeah. that's way too deep. <laughs> it's too deep, too early. We'll pull up. Okay. Um, so I was drinking the new riff. I promised, uh, a bottle pop and then we'll get into the, uh, official interview with sam but sam tell us about this release so this is bardstown the prisoner yes so this was a 10-year tennessee bourbon that we put into the prisoner red wine barrels uh, and finished it for 18 months uh came out at about 100 proof pretty sure uh on the nose at cast yeah. strength that, that residual wine kind of brought down that that abv in the barrel so uh, you're gonna love it so it was super close to 100 proof out of the barrel because it does say 100 proof exactly. Oh, I love that. Yes, yes. Um, so we might have added a little bit of water just to get it to an even. Um, mm -hmm. There's always a little bit, even at cast strength um, offerings. But it, yeah, it was significantly low with all, with the residual red wine kind of in the barrel. And, and I might why be jumping ahead. Of sorry, I'm, I was gonna go ahead, Drew. I think yours might oh, be more right. pertinent. Mine's gonna okay, I was gonna say why. I know you know. There's the Pfeiffer Pavit collaboration. Uh, who else? There's Copper and Kings collaboration. But <laughs> what is it? I you know, and I know Danny is pretty active in this. But um, what is it about the Prisoner Wine Company that's like, oh yeah, let's work with those guys? Well, they make a. They kind of have like more premium or like luxury style brands, right? So, and we're very much kind of premium bourbon, right? So, um, they've got a great kind of uh, fan base. You know, very recognizable brand. Uh, really, you know, we're in it to build good relationships with different spirit producers, right? And um, the whole idea of a collaboration series really started as like a one-off kind of creative fun project just to keep us, you know, 
interested and, and entertained while we were waiting for our bourbon to, to rest. And then it became such a, so well received and such a fun project that we, you know, as we continue to think about people who we want to collaborate with, one of the biggest things too, is we want to make sure it's a brand that's big enough that can give us enough barrels so that you guys can find it on the shelf. Right. Easily, Which right? I appreciate, particularly in yeah. Milwaukee, the, as I mentioned, the bourbon wasteland that is Milwaukee. I did, uh, actually I did not get this one locally. Tom helped me hustle this out of Ohio. <laughs> um, but the, it was around locally. I just didn't have a shot at it. Sure. Sure. So, you know, as long as they take off, you know, uh, a few things for us, if they're, you know, um, great, to work with uh, and have a great product and have a brand big enough to supply uh, the barrels, then, then we're in. Mm. I loved for the record. I, I think Pfeiffer Pavit batch two is the one I had mm-hmm. and it was amazing. Um, I have the Pfeiffer Pavit XO, which nice. uh, Elsa um, and Rod in, probably in the chat helped hustle for me out of the distillery so but it's because i, I love the brand so much I, not to just like blow smoke but i i'm just really into some of the stuff bardstown is doing and in particular i had somebody the other day i uh, was at a tasting and um well two times recently i had one criticism levied against bardstown one it was too expensive i'm i'm gonna defend it for you in just a minute and i did in the moment one, it was too expensive. Two, you know, it's it's a finished bourbon. I was like, hold on just a dang minute here, okay? Like, it's not the same as a lot of other finished products out there because a lot of other finished products are five-year bourbons and rives aged or finished for three to six months secondary. Like, what I love and is so unique about Bardstown is there's an intensity of flavor that comes from the fact that it's super old bourbon, like nine, ten-year bourbon, and then it's aged in these secondary casks for like 18 months. And that's, that's unbelievable. Um, and I, I imagine not cheap, right? <laughs> not cheap. No, no, but it makes a great product, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So the, yeah, they, did they do a second XO that was in the prisoner or what, what was the second one that came out? So um, the Pfeiffer Pavit was really the only one that we called XO because it was from Got it what we what we bottled in 2019 so it had like a 40 month finish on it by the time we gotcha. we were selling it by the bottle <clears throat> prisoner was just um not really extra aged but we did pick out like an incredible barrel um so gotcha. the prisoner red wine is a is a blend of five different grape varietals and we took that kind of same ratio of barrels so if it was you know, 50% Zinfandel, which I, I don't remember exactly what it is. I know it is heavy on Zinfandel and, you know, just for easy to understand uh, numbers, if we got a hundred barrels, we would have made 50 Zinfandel barrels. Right. So we kind of kept it in that same respective form. Um, and one of the Syrah barrels is what we did um, a single barrel fill of in our Rick house. And it is excellent. Uh, that was a yep. Dan special. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he picked that barrel and he, he knows his stuff. So, so, uh, on the nose on this, I get, uh, so classic well-aged Dickel. And by that, and I'm not, I'm just assuming it's Dickel, by the way, mm-hmm. I know it's mm-hmm. non-disclosed. Um, no, it's just Tennessee. It's just Tennessee right. bourbon, right? <laughs> Tennessee bourbon. Yeah, obviously. 
It smells really, really similar to a very well-aged uh, Dickel product. Uh, remarkably similar to this guy with a little more complexity mm -hmm. added mm -hmm. from the wine. So, but when I say it smells like Dickel, what I mean is like, have you ever been to Cabela's and they you go up to the fudge section and they have the roasted nuts in the little fudge hut at Cabela's? Mm -hmm. So it smells like, or, you know, if you're at a carnival, say like normal people, they go to carnivals. I yeah. like go sniff the nuts at Cabela's. Um, it smells like that, which I really, really enjoy that roasted, like pecan, like honey roasted, fresh yeah, that roasted nuts. Delicious. Um, in a, in a well-aged dickle. Um, and then I get candied orange and then I get like strawberry fruit leather because my kids eat a lot of like handy snacky kid foods, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of bright fruit. Yeah. Touch of tobacco and dark chocolate. Um, really, really uh, delicious, desserty nose. I need to try this next to the Pavit side by side because it's, yeah. it's similar. You know, it's in the same family in that it's red wine. Mm -hmm. Tennessee, old Tennessee bourbon finished in red wine. Which is, but if it's similar to Pfeiffer, I don't mind it at all because I love that one so much. So they're hard to compare. They're both delicious and so similar, but different at the same time. Mm. Super sweet. Um, it's uh, it's really it. I don't want to use the term balance because that's not descriptive. But I don't get like one flavor and then another flavor. It really feels like a cohesive whole. A That's good good. a good dark chocolate is a good descriptor though. And Brian knows what I mean when I say good dark chocolate. Like a bad dark chocolate tastes like dirt and carbon yeah. and sugar. Uh, a good dark chocolate tastes like cherries. It's got like this interesting acidity to it. It's really uh, viscous and creamy. But it does have uh, a real a roasty essence that it brings with it, um, and that's what I kind of get. The, that's awesome. The prisoner, Brian. What are you? You you look like you're really processing something there. I just yeah. I just I mean, I just feel like it's it's got a lot of full body to it. Like if you were drinking wine, like if you're liking a full bodied red or something like that, but you want some brightness, but you also appreciate whiskey, you you get. Um, I feel like. I don't know. I feel like it just layers an extra bit of thickness to the pour because it is whiskey and it's a higher proof beverage than um, drinking wine. So it, it's just a, a very saturated mixture with like a, a, a very full bodied but like um, slightly drying finish. I just think it, it, it gives you um, – I don't always find, I feel like a lot of times we talk about whiskeys for flavor and I feel like this is a whiskey that just gives you a lot of texture to process. Um, yeah. And I just don't yeah. ever really talk about whiskeys, like drinking whiskeys that way. Maybe, maybe people drink scotches that way. I don't know. I'm not really a scotch person, but it just gives you uh, a slightly different um, side of things to focus on. At least that's what I was kind of processing. Yeah. I think mouthfeel is a super overlooked um you know, character of, of anything that you're drinking, whiskey or, or whatever it is. And I think it's really important to have something interesting and obviously, you know, pleasurable in some way. So I, yeah. I think the, the dry finish is nice. Uh, you know, the 
just like people who like to drink wine for, you know, the tannins, the tannins really kind of hit you on the finish a little bit harder. Um, mm -hmm. But you get all that sweet kind of bourbon uh, palette up front, which yeah, just well, makes it transitional, right? It's just, it's an interesting one to sip on. Yeah. As, and the fullness of the, the flavors, um, by fullness, I mean the, the age of the bourbon that's present, the, the oak that you can tangibly pick up, and then um, the sweetness and, that, and the fruitiness that's brought in from the red wine, again, is what I would go back to and differentiating it from a lot of other finishes. I feel like a lot of rum finishes just like hit you right over the face with rum. I do not like rum finishes generally. Now, I would entertain one from Bardstown because I've liked what you guys have there's one coming. Far. Is there really? <laughs> well, we'll this see. year? We'll see. We'll see. That may be a misstep, but we'll we'll see how it goes. Where are you getting? Love what it. can you tell us about that one, actually? Um, so yeah, it's gonna be maybe released this fall if it tastes ready. We're kind mm -hmm. of still sitting on we're still kind of waiting for that like magical turn point. Um, so it may not happen. Uh, but it's with a um it's with plantation rum. Mm. And I forget what exactly what plantation barrels they gave us i think i want to say it was plantation xo um and i'm really excited about that one because you know i've definitely had some bad rum fin finished uh whiskeys but i've had a lot of bad finished whiskeys in general yeah. and mm -hmm. i think a lot of it you kind of mentioned it earlier like a lot of people uh new distilleries or new brands that need to just push out a, a product quick to make some money um, we'll take something very, very young and finish it very, very quickly yeah. just to kind of, you know, mask up all the, you know, youthfulness and, and sell it. Right. So it's definitely cool to see like a luxury product or a premium product in the finished whiskey category. Cause it's almost an oxymoron with how people kind of Right. regard that category most of the time yeah i think for me i i would say that bardstown has really helped open my eyes to what like the glories of finishing whiskey like how good a finished whiskey could be i mean scotches do it all the time but right. they, they're op often operating with well-aged products that finish for a long time that mm -hmm. hasn't happened in american whiskey much but until you all started doing your thing so i'm pretty yeah. jacked for for more learning all right. What's, this is a what's really bit, interesting. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. What's really interesting is that the finished whiskey category isn't actually like a federally protected category, like right. bourbon whiskey, or straight bourbon whiskey or any of those things. So I think if we could make it a federally protected category, then we could eliminate some of the, the nonsense that's out there. Bananas, nonsense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's all I was going to say. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. So you're telling me that I'm not going to be able to get a, a, a well-aged Barstown Bourbon Company honey whiskey. Like honey, honey barrel. barrel. Honey. Excuse me. He's He just got the Bell Mead one, and he's been picking up these Starlight honey finish, you know, where it's like they somebody ages their I'm also moderately fat and love sweets. So I'm like, anything with honey in it, I'm like, I get all for it. I'm into it too. You know what I think would be really cool, actually. Um, and this is going to sound just bonkers for most Let's people, but like, uh, so I'm I'm a bartender by nature, so mm -hmm. I'm not the trying to like say it. I I'm not trying to say uh, a flavored whiskey, but like some sort of like infused whiskey with like honey 
uh, coffee and cinnamon, kind of like a little like meal yeah, style. Yeah. Like you got you got two coffee people here yeah. that'll help you with that meal yes. product. You just how delicious just would that be? Yeah, well, <laughs> we get some Saigon cinnamon in there because we got to yeah. elevate it because it's that yeah. Come on, now. there's a lot of pretty killer hiveries. Uh, if that's what you call a honey producing place in Wisconsin. Um, so a little Wisconsin, little Wisconsin honey, a little Kentucky know-how. Uh, oh, come on. Yeah. Come on. I mean, this, this has to happen. It has to happen right okay, now. Okay. Yeah. So, so I will, uh, where was I going? I mean, I, I have, and I very much enjoy it, but it's not, it's not quite a honey. And I, and actually I don't quite remember the process. It's a, it's a, it's the Goodwood honey ale, but it was, but it was mm. Copper and King's brandy. I don't. Yeah. What is what is the what's the path of that product? Real quick. So I know it's a slight yeah, tangent, but it's a very yeah. good bottle. So that was a very small release that we did, and mm -hmm. and it didn't get a whole lot of hype as much as some of the other ones. But I thought it was mm -hmm. incredible. That oh, also yeah. had a really really dry finish. It wasn't honey like like at least the honey that I got on it wasn't like right. super sickly sweet. It was more like floral and kind of earthy sugary in a way anyways um so yeah we had honey ale barrels from goodwood goodwood is a local brewery um in downtown louisville and they have another one somewhere in indiana and um they aged a honey ale in copper and king's brandy barrels so and i'm sure those brandy barrels were probably bourbon barrels before they were brandy barrels because that's how brandy works too so just the longevity of, of all of these barrels, I think is really cool. Um, just extra seasoning, extra time and Oak. And, um, you know, it's, it creates a really unique story to that bourbon and, and the flavors that, that you get in there from all of those different things. Tapping into your bartender question again, and hopefully this isn't like an insulting question when it comes to a spirit that's like, you know, the, the prisoner release, but have uh -huh. you have you made a boulevardier that uses like this prisoner too as a base? I have not, but I have. Um, I do think that that would be delicious. A boulevardier is my go-to cocktail um, mm -hmm. for like just any bar that has you know a cocktail menu. Um, I'm I'm ordering a boulevardier. So. For those of us who don't know what a boulevardier is, because we're cocktail ignorant. Well, yeah. Know what that is. <laughs> um, so it is a riff on a Negroni. A Negroni is equal parts gin, sweet vermouth, and cam Campari, which is a red mm -hmm. bitter liqueur. Um, so a Boulevardier is when you swap in bourbon for gin. Uh, I was actually um, kind of a riff an American bartender came up with while bartending in Europe during Prohibition because that's what bartenders had to do with you know the careers that they chose during prohibition so um it's just a great anytime cocktail and mm -hmm. it's also great because even if you're not a you know savvy with cocktail techniques or tools it's very hard to mess up if you just measure equal parts and throw an orange peel um you know little oil expression on top it's it's like impossible to mess up nice mm -hmm. yeah i i want to get into cocktails because you know i'm of course, I know coffee backwards, forward, sideways. I know coffee. I've learned an immense amount about American whiskey and scotch, um, but I've never put forward the effort to become a mixologist of any measure. I just haven't done it. I'm like, this is amazing by itself. 
I don't really want to put stuff in it. Like I'm just happy with this. Um, and when you go to BBC said, and you have their old fashioned, I mean, you're I can't, kind of I can't like, do better than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <What can laughs> We're going to get to that later, but yeah, that's good enough for me. I'm good there. So yeah. Um, maybe I'll come to do you guys do classes, cocktail classes. I, I do classes. So yeah, I did a live one like this week, right? Uh, last week I did one. I think okay. I have no idea where the time has gone. You went um, live on Instagram. I remember that. Yeah, I went live on Instagram to do my cocktail prep bef- the day um, before we did a class. So about once a month, I'm trying to do them once a month. I started doing it during quarantine as a way to not lose my mind, mostly. Yeah. Um, but I I started doing weekly virtual cocktail classes where it was just free to sign up like you would sign up for a tour, like on our website. Um, and you would get a zoom link and we, you'd get a shopping list of ingredients and then we'd all make cocktails together. And it was super fun. Mm. And since, you know, life is much busier now, um, I've slowed them down to once a month, but they are really cool and you should definitely sign up for the next one, which I haven't posted yet, but it's going to be, it's going to be bourbon tiki. Okay. It's going to be so fun. Yeah, I will do that. I think my wife would love that. I think we'll do it together. That would be great. Yes, that's a great date night. Sweet. Well, well, we'll get to our outline now because now we've been talking for 30 minutes, Sam, and we didn't properly introduce what you do at cool. Bardstown. So I apologize for that. Um, but why don't you tell us what's your t- official title? Give us a summary of your role and, and uh, you know a picture in your day-to-day life at Bardstown Bourbon Company. Okay. Uh, that last part's going to be very difficult because it's always different, but I am (laughs) the national brand ambassador, um, the first and only for the company. So with that comes a lot of ambiguity and kind of, uh, an open book for me to write, right? Like what, what's my, um, you know, contribution to, to the brand, uh, going to be. Um, so I, I mostly focus on consumer engagements, obviously. Um, so it's, it's been a really wild journey because I was given, I started with the company, um, three and a half years ago, uh, just about, and, uh, I helped open the cocktail program, um, under Dan Calloway, Mm -hmm. uh, in the restaurant. I helped, um, curate and open our tour center and and then in at the top of 2020 last year before all hell broke loose i got national brand ambassador title and you know was promised you know this life of of travel and fun and 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 kind of new experiences and new challenges and then boom it all just like disappeared like that <laughs> so it was a very weird year and like everybody else um you know I had to pivot very thankful that I kept my job and and now this year I feel like even though I've been kind of na- national brand ambassador for for already over a year now I feel like now I'm just kind of coming into my role with the company um you know by traveling a lot with our mobile unit and just focusing on brand education and just kind of brand face to face time like it, it means a lot you know I I remember when I first moved to Kentucky and seeing a bar that had more than four or five bourbons on it was like amazing, right? And that was, a, that was not that long ago. Um, and I love being able to provide that kind of reaction um, 
to, to people in their hometowns and in their cities where they, you know, don't see bourbon producers as much as we do in Kentucky. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's been a wild ride. I'm always kind of, um, you know, uh, figuring out what I can do to be, you know, to make the brand bigger and better. Um, and then one huge part of my job is helping execute plan and execute world's top whiskey taster, which mm. we're getting ready to launch this year again. I was going to ask about that. I didn't put it in our outline, but we talked about that with Matt That's when he fun. was on our show. Yeah. So world's top whiskey taster, it's, it's annual or it's, it's premier debut was last year during COVID. So it was incredibly challenging because once we kind of, said, okay, move forward. There was no turning back. And mm. we had no, we honestly, I think a lot of us had no idea that COVID, you know, was going to be right. what it turned out to be. Yeah. Is, is this going to be three weeks? Is this going to be three right. months? We're still in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so um, we just had to make the best with what we had. And I think we had a very successful competition, but this year is going to be ridiculously bigger. Mm. and very excited about that live in person instead mm. of virtually um so it's it's gonna be really really cool and we're gonna get ready to kind of announce um i think i think in J july 1st so okay. we've got a couple couple weeks left but july 1st we're gonna do a call to entry and there's gonna be all the information out there. I think you're um, going to get a lot of entries this year. I mean, Brian I and I are too. both going to enter. We didn't enter last year. I mean, we want to give Matt a run for his money, obviously. Yeah, Matt actually you... told us that he he challenged us to compete because there's no way we could beat him. <laughs> then he wants to see us crushed. I think that's I think that's in in so many words what he told us on his stream with us. I can just see his facial expressions as he's like, as you're saying those words, um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be fun and tough and, and it's a really wild experience. I, I mean, honestly, like if I didn't work for the brand, I'm on, kind of mad that I, I can't enter the competition sure. because I would just geek out so hard to, to be able to, you know, participate in a competition of this kind. I think it's really neat and especially with especially because of covid last year and this kind of boom of of bourbon communities and in clubs and the growth of these communities like it's cool to geek out about bourbon it's an american spirit you know yeah. what i mean like if we're gonna geek out about one thing like let's let's let bourbon be it you know yeah 100 percent. i mean i started my channel in the midst of covid and uh yeah. you know we got 80 people watching us talk about it that's pretty amazing while you drink wine but <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> beggars can't be choosers no, I, love yeah. all spirits. Yeah. I love all spirits i I actually really like wine too i just don't drink very much of it um and it may it's because like for the last six years it seems like i would drink wine with my wife who's been pregnant or nursing a lot so there hasn't she hasn't been able to drink much which is a bummer but we're done now <laughs> We're three and a half. What would you say is your top spirit? Like, it, it does. Is it? Would it be whiskey? Like, is it wine? Yeah, yeah, Sam. Or yeah, it's definitely like whiskey. Um, mm -hmm. and maybe not bourbon exclusively. I think the whole mm -hmm. whiskey category is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, but second to that is is anybody who knows me knows this about me is tequila. Like, I love or agave spirit. Okay, I say tequila Let's mezcals. Go. And I would like to know a lot more about them. And, and um, I, I have my, I'm a certified spirit specialist. So I have a pretty 
like I, I know all about the plant and the and I'm fascinated by it kind of for the same reason I'm fascinated by what by whiskey like the agriculture behind it kind of the mystique of the plant itself that I've never seen in person um but I I just love tequila for the same like reposados and stuff too that that barrel uh on it I think is is real good Pretty prime yeah. spirit just yeah prior to diving just prior to diving super deep into to bourbon, I, I I almost got into agave spirits, and I held myself back. I was like, "No, I'm not gonna have another rabbit hole to go down." And instead, I've do it. Go down all bourbon. the rabbit holes, man. I really think yeah. you should. And I think the more you can get into other spirits, the more you can learn about spirits in general too. Like, there's so many um, just connections and parallels between how other spirits are made and what grows in that country and you know what's yeah. available all those things are incredibly interesting so it's on my bucket a, list to to go to some uh, agave farms and in tequila distilleries yeah there's a friend that i had and she she had a chocolate shop in california and she had this one chocolate maker that um, we were both very big fans of that had made a, a chocolate bar initially specifically for her and and she and um she had said that there's a particular pairing of this chocolate bar. This chocolate bar I think had like it was like a, a salted it was like a milk chocolate with specks of like salt and I don't know it wasn't super fancy but it, the taste was so good. It had like cocoa nib and, and sea salt on the back. But she's like but the but the perfect pairing is it with the Fortaleza añejo. And oh, that's I remember a good this. One, yeah. And I remember visiting her and then getting a chance to try the two of them together. And it was just one of those flavor combinations that was just wonderful. Banger. So, and I've not bought a bottle since because, you know, I just don't drink tequila that much. I've got two. I mean, I like it too, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been similar to Brian. Like you can only, it feels like you can only choose so many rabbit holes and I tend to be obsessive. Um, so it's like, I don't just like dabble. I'm going to learn a little bit for a few months. It's like, no, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it hard. And, uh, I mean, could you imagine a tequila and golf like live stream? That would be terrible. Yeah, I agree. I actually agree. Um, Terrible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Actually, there's a great bar downtown Louisville. I got to plug this place because it's like, um, like a paradise for me. Uh, it's called the silver dollar. It's an old, um, firehouse station. So it's got like the big, huge doors that come up and they open it up in the summertime and in warmer months. And it's only whiskey and agave. And they have like, uh, an extensive list of single barrels of, of both whiskey and agave, uh, single barrels that are incredible. So next time you guys want to come to Louisville and hang out, we'll go there. We'll have tequila and whiskey and some some good barbecue too i love brian it. brian is a louisvilleite he lives there um I that's do right. that's yeah one of our big fans he's in the chat tom i when he came to town we got to go there and we had some pours we didn't have tequila just whiskey. dude i didn't even that's i've tom. been there before but i didn't even realize that they yeah i was too focused on the bourbon which i mean to be fair that's why i was in so Louisville. <laughs> it's, just, it's just outside of downtown like it's it is it is busy because everyone goes there like industry people all go there and stuff but it's yeah. not it's not busy like downtown touristy busy and that's just so good you just yeah i mean if you want to go like, be around are there for the same reason too yeah like it'd be more fun to be around industry people versus touristy people no, nothing against tourists because that's kind of what i am uh 
No, yeah. industry people are the best. Yeah, they do industry night there every Monday. Nice. Um, yeah, which is pretty fun. Pretty uh, fun to do. All right. Well, we can have like a party when I come down again. I'm not sure when that's... Well, it's probably going to be I'm July. Game. July. We're trying to get that Middle West pick worked in July. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Because uh, we have gone through one question in our outline so far, and that <laughs> is, who are you? <laughs> Sorry. I Which told is a you, like, question anyway. But. Yeah, no doubt. I told Sam, like, hey, normally we go till 10. If you need to jump off sooner, that's fine. She said, no, I'm good till 10. We're going to be on here till like 11. We'll see. Don't tell her that. Don't It'll be the longest podcast we ever us. did. I might drink the whole bottle of wine, just forewarning. Well, but. we'll keep pouring the whiskey. Um, and that prisoner <laughs> is so good. It goes down way too easy. It's, I, it, oh, it's so dangerous. Yeah. Dangerous, yes. Yeah, if you guys, Nation, if you haven't gotten a bottle of any of these Bardstown special releases, because you're like, oh, it's 130 bucks. It's 130 bucks well spent. You should do it. You will not be sorry. Um, you have the Droopy Whiskey stamp of approval. Um and on on the ones I've tried, which I I have high confidence in the others, but the Pfeiffer Pav and the Prisoner um, and the Discovery Batch Three and Four, those are the ones I've had. They've all been fantastic. All right, Sam, uh, we're going to talk about coffee for a hot minute. We were doing this in the chat. I'm so ready. Yeah. So, what's your relationship with coffee? Because this is important if we're going to be friends. So, well, I think you'll be satisfied with the okay. answer. No bullshit. I am the biggest coffee snob, snood, whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I, I take my coffee so seriously. Not nice. that I am against, uh, you know, a hotel sure. pot of coffee in the morning. Like caffeine serves a purpose and I get that and I'll take what I can get on certain occasions. But I am such a snob when it comes to coffee. I don't think there's actually a beverage that I'm a bigger snob about, whiskey included, than coffee because it's like ritual. It is, I used to be a barista and so did my partner. And, um, you know, we, we do Chemex pour overs at home. That's, that's how we make our coffee. Drew, this is um, deeper than Blake. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. Blake, yeah. Blake where did you coffee. Uh, where did you barista? I baristaed at <laughs> not, I don't want to say it's not the greatest coffee shop because it is, it just doesn't have the greatest coffee or at least it didn't when I was there, but that well, that's, didn't, I started have, it didn't have anything place. to do with it. Um, yeah. But I started at, I, I don't even know if it's around anymore, but Vint over on Frankfurt. Yeah. yeah. So I lived, when I first moved to Kentucky, I left with, clothes a bag of clothes and that was it i didn't have furniture i didn't have anything and it's gonna be a great story I, and i i had i also sold my car to move to kentucky like i had this big kentucky dream and i made it happen but i i had to do a lot to get here and i was uh, a barista from 6 a.m to noon about three or four days a week they hired me on to work two days a week and that absolutely never happened because I was like the oldest person there <laughs> and everybody else was like in college and calling out all the time. And yeah. I was like, well, yeah. this much closer to an apartment. And I was breaking myself by doing 6 a.m. to noon at Vint. And then I would bartend at DECA from like 3 p.m. to about midnight. Or Is that one. where you met Dan at DECA? Yes, it's DECA family. Yes. I love it. And Mike yeah. or uh, uh, Davey Butterworth. Yes, I love Davey. I love Davey. Let's go. Um, <laughs> so I, but I, it's funny because 
I, you know, it was with coffee that I really learned how to kind of tune my palate. Mm. Um, because I found that so crazy interesting. I really dove into craft cocktails when I started at DECA and, um, you know, working at the coffee shop in the morning, everybody, everybody takes that shit seriously. And, and, you know, talk about like kind of exhaling after you kind of like slowly slip, you know, the exhale, the flavors that you get. I was like, this is so cool. And I feel like it like primed me for Barstown Bourbon Company because I was you know, I was literally practicing it. I was like, what do I get on Colombian? What do I get on Guatemala? Like, where are the blueberries that everybody keeps saying? You know what I mean? And I had no idea that Bardstown was going to happen until it was like right there. And I was like, oh, well, I got this. (laughs) So coffee means a lot to me. I was a bigger answer than you asked for, but. No, no. Yeah, that's 100% what I wanted to hear. And I was going to have you next uh, take us back and, and tell us about, um, you know, your, your introduction into bourbon, but I feel like you teased a little too much. Cause you're like, I had this big old Kentucky dream. You gotta go yes. back further. You gotta tell us about this Kentucky dream, this process to get to Kentucky. And then ultimately how does whiskey finally find its way in? So I grew up in Peoria, Illinois. That's right down the road. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Peoria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like neighbors. Yeah, um, right. So I, um, you know, very, very unoriginal story for a young person, but I, I did not want to go to college because I really, I'd, I've been working in restaurants since I was 15 and I really do love the industry. Mm. Like I love the busyness and the chaos and the experience that, that you provide and, and being a part of, of people's memories and special occasions. I loved it. I ate, I ate it up and I was making really good money. So Um, I didn't go to college and I started kind of climbing the ladder of bartending, um, you know, started off at Chili's and then thought it'd be cool to work at like the diviest bar in the world. And I will not name. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just go go there there. tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Offline, uh, we can talk about it. Yeah, you can just drop it in the stream yard chat. Let me know. I'm about it. But that taught me a lot of lessons about how to kind of, especially for a woman, like how to stick up for yourself, confidence, how to kick somebody out of a bar, Mm -hmm. how to know, um, you know, see red flags before they happen. And and, so many Mm -hmm. life skills from that job and chilies. And then kind of went into finer dining. And then at a certain point just became very bored and very complacent. And I was like, man, did I fuck up? Um, Mm -hmm. Sorry. I don't know if I can say that. No, you're fine. Uh, you know, like, should I have gone to college? Like, what, you know, what am I doing? I, I know I like what I'm doing, but I'm not learning anymore. And, uh, being a bartender, um, <laughs> at a finer dining place where, uh, just to be frank, a lot of really freaking old people went, I dealt a lot with sexism. Like it just, I, it, it's there. Like it's, yeah. it's, I'm sorry. Can, can that bartender make my, my Manhattan? Oof. Why? Well, because I don't think a woman knows how to make a Manhattan. Like, like literally things people would say to me on a weekly basis. Um, maybe not always daily. So it then became this like fire and this kind of like, um, you know, I'm going to do it out of spite. Like I'm going to know all there is to know about bourbon. I'm going to make a better Manhattan than any guy counterpart that I work with. And I'm, and, and I really started to just love bourbon and, and 
was like, man, where does this stuff come from? Comes from Kentucky. I had my best friend at the time had family that lived in Lexington and she took me to, uh, you know, go see her family. And we, we spent a, a couple nights in Louisville and I was like, Oh, you know, if you were going to work anywhere in the world to rub elbows with the right people, like it, just bartending, right? Like it would be downtown Louisville. Like just mm, yeah. be a good, be a good person, be a good mm. worker, treat every guest as if they could be the CEO of a startup bourbon company. And sometimes you just got to make one right decision and the universe just helps you. And that was it for me. It was just like, yeah, just risk it all. Go to Kentucky with nothing and see if you can make it work. And, you know, I had to do the, the barista bartender gig, which uh, Davey Butterworth, I remember very well telling me. Yes. What, what did he call him? He, he called him Clopins or something. Like, yeah. Like, close the bar, but <laughs> yeah, open. Clopin. In the coffee shop. And I was like, oh, man, I'm in it. Like, I've never felt more alive than... Then clopening, then clopening. <laughs> mm, yeah. Honestly, and just like guzzling coffee and just trying to make it mm. happen, and it feels so good. You know, four years later to see that like it worked out for me. Yeah, thankfully, so, Kentucky up until recently is one of those places when you're trying to make it. At least it doesn't break the bank too hard. <laughs> that's right, cost of living. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. yeah, we're not trying to let the secret out too much that Louisville's the best place sure. in the world, well, but um, yeah changing even now but <laughs> but it is pretty great yeah. yeah awesome yeah that's a great uh i yeah i i don't even have any follow-up questions brian do you have any follow-up questions on the the introduction to bourbon that was just so well told no that was great so i mean so but there was one thing i was curious about because it's like go for it while yeah. you while you were at chili's is when you started to enjoy bourbon is that no no, 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 no. I think when I was at Chili's, I was my worst bartending career. I remember somebody once asked for like a, like a vodka soda and I gave them like vodka Sprite and I didn't understand Oops. that soda meant soda water. I was like, what do you mean soda? I gave you soda. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, like, I'm just thinking to myself what it would be like to start getting into to bourbon specifically working at a Chili's. Like, I, like, oh man, this I love Jack Daniels. What can I say? You know, he's like, what? No, I, I think everybody too, like, I think you have to kind of like drink Captain Morgan in before you realize what real rum is and in the same kind of in the whiskey category. I don't like to name brands, but yeah, it's, uh, I, it wasn't until I started working, um, kind of at the, the finer dining restaurant that I really started to get into bourbon because of all of the crazy comments that, old men would make to me huh. so, <laughs> i was like i'm gonna drink it <laughs> so it was like, really because of the which i i i yes, don't understand yeah. this but it was really because like these old racist misogynistic sexist white dudes yeah. won't trust me with their drink that i'm i will prove these dudes and i i could yeah. come up with a more choice word more choice adjective, I, but i will prove these guys wrong yeah i mean they were definitely sexist i don't know about all those other things yeah i just <laughs> like, imposed that I, from I, some I, of my own yeah. experience it definitely <laughs> paints a good it, it definitely paints a good villain but yes like most things in my life that i i feel like a lot of a lot of women and a lot of, a lot of girls can relate to this is like you just always want to prove that you can 
hang with the boys and it's not to impress them. It's just to be a little bit, just to be regarded a little bit higher. You know what I mean? So like I was very athletic as a kid and women's sports still to this day, you just don't watch them like men's sports. They don't make the same money. They don't get the same audiences. So it was always just, you know, there really is just a, a, a very, just from a very young age, just this kind of seed that we plant in women that says we're always going to be second to men. And, and so naturally women try to prove themselves and sometimes they do it in the wrong way and that sucks. Um, but, um, for a lot of the things that I decided to do is because I wanted to prove that I didn't mean a man to do it. Now I still don't know how to change a flat tire. And if I get a flat tire, I'm calling one of you guys. Well, to be honest, I don't know that I do either. So, uh, you know, like there are some things I could and should know how to do. Um, but you know, I'm all about getting somebody to do that for me. But anyways, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, all these men would order uh, and, and just, you know, men at the bar that were bartending on me or even women that were waiting on me, like, Oh, uh, you won't like that. Like take a Cosmo. Fuck you. Like I'll take a Manhattan. Thank you. Or a whiskey yeah. knee. And it does, you know, it does make you feel, and then you grow a taste for it. It's like anything else. Um, I actually think maker's mark was my first bourbon that I had meat. I think we all kind of started with like Jack and Cokes and things like that. And then when I was ready to like drop the Coke and start like really getting into like bourbon and, and how it tastes and how it's made and stuff like that, I picked out Makers because it had a beautiful bottle. And, um, I saw it at every bar. It was something I knew I could, I could order everywhere instead of being like, Oh, well you have to have a plan B if you're here or there, like it's everywhere. So drink it. Right. And I loved it. And I drank it on the rocks and it got to the point where our little like industry bar that we would go after work, which was also a huge dive. Um, they would just pour me a maker's mark on the rocks. The second I, I walked in without even asking me what my order was like, that felt cool. Um, and we do a lot of things in life to feel cool. And I feel cool. I still feel cool drinking bourbon. I think bourbon is the coolest. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. hundred <laughs> percent. And thank you for, for sharing so transparently on all of that. I really, really appreciate like a lot of what we want to do on our, our little pod and channel is, uh, you know, highlight the stories of the, the people, you know, we're, we're all obsessive about the product, no doubt, but you know, I'm really curious about the people who are making it happen and the whys, like, I just love that question of why. Um, and so you to be transparent about your why I appreciate that. Um, let's get back into bourbon. Uh, before we do that, folks in the chat, a lot of you are hitting up, hitting me with questions, which, hey, thanks for that. Questions for Sam specifically, but I've got like a bunch of them myself and, and we're having a great <laughs> chat. And so I'm not trying to get through them all, but we, I will endeavor to leave just a little bit of time at the end for Q&A. So if you want your question answered, I'm going to make you super chat it. Um, if not, just ask me at the very end and we'll, we'll try and throw as many of them in as possible um but i think tom asked what you're doing in chicago you're on that touring bardstown thing what, what is the official name of that so i'll, I'll <laughs> kind of reset because i'm sure brian will cut some of this out but um you know you find yourself in chicago right now and and what is it that that you and the bardstown or some of the bardstown crew are up to with this tour yeah, so we have built this really beautiful mobile tasting bar. That's what we call it. Not very cute or catchy. 
I realize, but it's the mobile tasting bar. Um, and it's kind of like a little tiny home uh, built for traveling across the country and spreading the good word about Bardstown. So um, it's definitely designed to kind of mock our distillery. So the outside um, wood paneling, the moss, moss wall inside, the logos, the aesthetic, all very much very much uh, fits what our distillery looks like. And really the, the idea kind of came about because as soon as COVID hit, you know, for a lot of brands, they could, I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn. I don't, I don't know what it's like for those brands, but bigger brands that are pretty much well-established and, and well-distributed globally even could kind of sit back and say like, you know, our bourbon's going to sell, like, it'll be fine. But for a brand that's growing and kind of just getting their name out there, it was like, man, we really need to like, this is not the time for us to, to, to lay anybody off or to stop selling and, and doing events. So we had to rethink about how we could stay in front of consumers in front and in, in front of people, bourbon drinkers and, and Bardstown fans, you know? Um, so naturally the idea of something that would allow us to do outdoor events um, was the most reasonable thing. It took us eight months to, to build it. And then by the time we got it out there, we saw, you know, a lot of restrictions being lifted and everybody ready to, to socialize, ready to, to get to an event where they could be safe and socialize. And we've been providing this experience. Um, now I think Illinois is our sixth state that we've been in. Um, and we're going to go all over the country, um, as we just, you know, want to just keep pouring bourbon for people. Nice. It's pretty great. Yeah. It's a pretty easy gig. What, what all do you have on the, on the trailer? What, what bourbons are you carrying with, or what products are you carrying with you? Fusion, yeah, so most, obviously. Yeah. Honestly, we're pretty much only sampling fusion and, and here's why, because you guys want more discovery and you want more prisoners. Of course. And of course. legit, because we do this week to week, we're sampling like hundreds of people a week. If we were to dip into the already slim pot, uh, you know, skimpy pot of, of collaborations and discoveries, that would just mean less bottles for you to be able to buy. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So, I feel like by at this point everybody knows that they're good and if if they're they're pretty much already committed to buying it before they mm. try it if True. if they're considering it. So trying to leave as many bottles on the shelf as possible, but Fusion 5 just got released. Mm. Um I don't even know if it's in our gift shop yet, but it will be as soon as Fusion 4 runs out. And so we've been tasting that a lot in the past couple of weeks and people are stoked. And I'm not just saying this but I I don't think uh, you know fusion one through five all just consecutively get better. I, there are such different flavor profiles from blend to blend and release to release that I really feel like you know you can pick favorites if you like a spicier flavor profile. You're you're really gonna like four if you like something really um, kind of traditional and well full-bodied and well-balanced then like five is going to be for you five mm. is so yeah good mm, that's what i want yeah <laughs> yeah um and people are just crushing it it's, it's what's the of that do you, do you know what that is yeah so there is um it's it's gonna have 70 percent of our product in it uh which is the most that we've ever put yeah. in it's always been 60 percent 
Um, and the sourced product um, gets a little bit younger. It's an 11 year, still great, still great age statement. Um, so we've got 30% of the bottle is an 11 year that has a pretty traditional, uh, I think 18% rye uh, mash bill, um, could be mistaken. Uh, and then the other two uh, that make up 70% of the blend that are our product, one is a four grain. And I've tasted that one straight from the barrel. And I think it's one of our best recipes that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one has, um, the other one that we produce is, has an 18% rye. The sourced has 13% rye. I just remembered. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's mostly our three and four-year-old product, uh, but it's in, it's incredible. And, and really cool just to see how blending can make such a difference on quality because people are shocked like I've been trying, I've been um, sampling a lot of people four and five side by side. And even though four has 13 year product in it and has more source product in it, more of that 13 year product. And we kind of drop that amount and we drop that age in five. Everybody thinks that um, series five is older. Mm. Like Everybody that I've tasted, they're like, wow, this is like much richer, much smoother, like more full bodied, um, and I'm like, no, it's, it's just blending. It's just, you know, you can, you can take A and B and create completely different flavors R. that don't really trace back. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, that don't trace back to either one of them. Right. So mm-hmm. um, it's just the coolest blending is so cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. When I tasted four, I thought, well, there's, there's layers here. Like I can taste the older product in it and I can taste the younger product. Like there's this, the, the younger product is, is standing out a little bit in four. So I'm mm-hmm. really curious to try five and see how that, how that has changed. So pretty jacked for that. As, yeah. As yeah. you talk about, as you talk about, I'm going to back up just a little bit. As you talk about products with that and you, and you're talking about two, um, like one of your first neat pours having maker's mark, where, where have you landed in terms of like profile of whiskey or bourbon specifically that you like to drink? Do you have like a profile that you're like, this is, this is it. No, I don't really have a flavor profile per se, but I do have a reaction that I like. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to steal this um, amazing quote from one of the coolest women I've ever worked with, uh, Randy Densford, who also started at DECA. Um, Yes, DECA's in the house. (laughs) Yeah, she worked with Bardstown for a bit, and now she's the beverage director at Barn 8. Super cool chick. Cool. she um, has this saying that, uh, and she started when we were at DECA, sorry, I'm going on a, a little tangent, but it all makes sense. When we started at DECA or were working at DECA, she was in the kitchen and had never worked for a house a day in her life. And then came up to me with some like ingredient uh, that they couldn't use in the kitchen anymore. And she's like, could you use this in a cocktail? I was like, I don't know. You tell me, like you're the culinary person. So right then and there, we made this cocktail together and it was amazing. And then she just went into this like cocktail rabbit hole. And now she's, um, yeah, the beverage director at Barnet. But she likes to say when she gives a customer a cocktail, the, the, the best like satisfaction that she can, she can get is with an, with an eyebrow raise, like on the mm-hmm. first drink, just to kind of go like, and that's what I look for in whiskey. Really roundabout answer. I, I like one that can make me raise my eyebrow. I like one that is interesting because I do have an unpopular opinion that there 
all the bourbons you have on your back bar um, are amazing. And I don't think what, regardless of what the price tag says on the shelf in the liquor stores, I think they're all incredible. <laughs> I really do. I very seldomly do I come across a bad bourbon, but I have had mm -hmm. a bad bourbon. I think it's much easier to just fucking pick one and you're going to love it because this day and age, people know how to make good bourbon and, and what, what qualifies a good bourbon, right? So yeah. um, I, I think finding a specific flavor profile, not for me, but one that's just unique where like either the mouth feels unique or it's kind of transitional from front to, from front to finish, or, you know, the nose gives me the idea that it's going to taste like this, but then it tastes like that. Like, I just, I don't know. I just like to, I like to think about it because it's so easy when we're drinking to, to, to be very, um, not in the moment where we're just kind of drinking because we're nervous. We're talking to each other and, and anything that kind of can bring me back to the experience and say like, Hey, this is in your glass. This is tasty. Um, mm. it kind of grabs your attention like that. That's what I look forward to. Do you have any of those off the, on the, on the forefront of your mind that, that you could mention? The big eyebrow yeah. rate, the things that have just floored you, the ones that stand out and you went like, wow, that changed, that yeah. changed me. I think, um, before I started working with Bardstown, um, I'm going to, I'm going to leave Bardstown product out of it. Just yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Honest. Unbiased, uh, yeah. Johnny drum. I thought Johnny drum okay. was so good. It had just like this spice and this richness and it was super dark and it had this crazy, um, wax seal. Like everything's a part of the experience to me, like sure. the bottle opening it, all of it. And like I had, to like call two friends to help me open the bottle because the wax was so and then it just like crumbled off and I was like what is this bourbon <laughs> um but then I got it to my lips and it was so good that I was like surprised honestly and I love Willet they're one of my favorite distilleries um but I was just like so amped up to have a terrible bourbon because it was giving me a terrible time trying to open it and then I was like boom this this is awesome um so that was a really good one and then, um, you know, recently I had a people on the road constantly hand me samples of bourbon, which please don't stop doing that. Um, <laughs> 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 this, uh, this guy, while I've been in Illinois, um, gave me a sample, uh, he actually gave it to me for my boyfriend who also works for the company, but I was like, ah, I'm going to tap into this. You have uh, to. Yeah. Yeah. It was a tequila uh, finished bourbon. Huh. So a okay. bourbon finished in tequila barrels. And I've been very interested in this for a while. It was from Few, which is an mm -hmm. Illinois brand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've been very interested in this for a while. And I didn't hate it. And I thought it was very interesting. And I drank the whole thing. So that that was my impression there. But I was like, this is really cool. And I think, I think we should do something like that too someday. Mm. Trying to make that happen. Tequila tequila barrel finish it's unfortunate that you can't compete in world whiskey taster when everyone's trying to train you while you're out on the road <laughs> yes honestly guys if i was in world's top whiskey taster there would be no competition i am <laughs> so good i am so I good at it yeah but yeah. yeah that's like i feel like more opportunity for you guys yeah we should have given you samples to blind taste on this just so you could back it up 
I have friends do this. I have I've made friends from afar that now like send to send you blinds. Yeah. Send me blind samples. Yep. Somebody from Texas did just a few weeks ago. One was a Pappy Van one was Pappy Van Winkle, like a vintage Pappy Van Winkle. Um, and then one was like poor man's Van Winkle. It was like a blend. Somebody said that they could make taste just like Pappy. Mm. Um, they they tasted nothing alike. Nothing alike. Uh, and I haven't told him what I like, what I, what I think is what yet, but I will, but they're not similar. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't think they were similar at all. Um, which is kind of crazy, but yeah, I'm sitting on a blind from Andrew Beck. Who's in the chat, which Andrew will do that at some point, you know, when we get a little bit, a little bit of time next week, we don't have a guest, um, end of June. We have Joe Henry from J Henry on. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah. That'll be fun. Got to get you some samples for that, Brian. That's yeah. neither here nor Send there. Send them to Sam too. She'll pick. She'll pick the best one for us, and then best one. Her name, her name right. on the pick. <laughs> uh, uh, let me hit the outline here and just see where we're at. Uh, yeah, I would skip. I would skip. I see a couple. You should just skip and just get back into the journey stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're gonna keep talking collection yeah. and yada yada. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> um, let's go to. Uh, all right, get, getting back to your role at Bardstown, you know, national brand ambassador sounds really, really cool. Um, you, like you said, the travel and you meet new people, share whiskey with folks. Um, which you had already talked about, you know, the elements of that that you love, but what do you think is kind of overblown? Like what's hard or mundane or boring about what you do that people just probably don't understand? Because, I mean, to me right now, it sounds wonderful, but um, what's what's rough? You're allowed to say talking to two dumb podcast dudes on yeah, YouTube, that, too. No, like, no, you're no. You're only allowed to fun. say that. DMs, like, hey, can you come on our podcast? <laughs> the stuff that I, I don't know, the stuff that I don't like about the job or, or stuff that gets overwhelming or tedious or mundane is is a short list, honestly. I'm not trying to uh, you know, say that just to be a star brand ambassador, but I think a lot of it is um, honestly okay. I get mad at women a lot because I, I get mad at women that <sighs> say things that this is silly. This is probably a very unexpected answer. Let's have it. That that kind of demean themselves and women as a category and it's not their fault once again i'm sorry i'm a huge feminist i'm not trying to spray feminism on everything but like this podcast is about you i give away i give away a lot of of t-shirts and hats and stuff and i noticed that every time a large woman ask for like a large size, like anything large, extra large or double XL, it always follows with an apology. Mm. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Stop giving me an excuse or an apology for getting the XL. Like, I don't care. You're beautiful. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It really does bother me after a long mm. time. And I know that's a really weird thing to say, but like, it's been so often lately, especially like, just doing, you know, handing out swag after swag after swag at at all these events. I'm like seeing that it's so much more common than anybody else might think because nobody really has that interaction as often as I do. And I'm like, why are women 
not and also women that just like don't speak because they don't understand bourbon i'm like you don't have to understand bourbon to say it reminds you of this like like i, I don't know and and it's a, a handful of men too but it's largely women that just are like well i don't know or i can't drink this straight so i just don't like bourbon i'm like hey public service announcement if you can't drink bourbon straight your first time trying it you are not you're in the majority <laughs> you're mm -hmm. in the majority like it's fine and then when i like tell them to drink it with some water they're like oh no i can't do that i'm like why not there's already water in it like it's water is a main ingredient in this bourbon like right. adding a little filtered water isn't gonna do isn't gonna ruin anything isn't gonna cover anything up like i we sample sometimes up to like 300 people at an event and the amount of people that want to turn down the bourbon because it's so strong but won't take a few freaking drops of water because they think like it's there are a lot of ways to enjoy bourbon i hate that it really does get to me after a while because i just like i get a little forceful with it i'm like just take some freaking water <laughs> do you feel do you feel like you know i feel like you i feel like you hear people say this when they're on like their pedestal of like no appreciate whiskey however you want to do you see that like practically play out it, it, the way the, the way you say that make it seem like you don't see that practically played out which would like do you see a lot more people like lift their nose or whatever when, when someone wants a ginger ale a sprite water yeah ice. and i don't understand why because there's an occasion for everything and like mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to drink while eating pizza is bourbon and Sprite. Cause I like, so like I'm not a soda mm. drinker, but I love soda with like a big slice of pizza. Mm. And so like, um, 1792 and Sprite really nice or okay, fusion and go. Sprite, whatever. Um, like a nice bourbon with Sprite. I don't think that that is weird. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. you should eat your pizza the way you want to eat your pizza in peace. You know, uh, with no judgment from anybody else. And if I want some Sprite and my bourbon to go with it, then like, why not? Um, so, yeah, you know, and, and there's definitely this kind of like American competitive nature where like we definitely like, and I'm guilty of this too, things to be bigger, better, stronger, louder. And it's very much the same way with how people drink their bourbon. It's like, well, I'm going to drink it cast strength. Like I know a lot of people one if you like it cast strength and you prefer it it's perfectly great but don't rain on everybody else's parade and don't act like that that makes you a better bourbon drinker than somebody who likes it 90 proof or on the rocks like you are not better than them yeah. <laughs> and you can get that attitude out of here because <laughs> i'm here to pour bourbon and make friends and you're getting in the way is what i like to say to those people and eat pizza okay let me say real quick um so Wait, were you getting ready to say on the note of pizza? I didn't mean no, to. No, I said and eat you. pizza. I was just throwing that in there too as yeah. another thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so Tom had a pretty Illinois, awesome comment, but go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, you know, Illinois origins, close to Chicago, talking mm -hmm. about eating pizza with bourbon and Sprite. But what's your favorite pizza, like, style? New York origin? style. Okay, New York let's style. go. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would agree. I, I hate deep dish pizza yeah. and it's so funny because I don't know many like Chicagoans that do. It's just this like touristy <laughs> trick. I think it's just this like really mean trick. They're just like, Hey, we're going to get you a boat of pizza sauce. 
there's some bread at the bottom. <laughs> and, it's so hard to eat. And this much Chicago cheese, style. which yeah. is everybody's least favorite topping, right? The cheese, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. The older I, think it's I just get a- the older I get, the the eating Chicago style pizza is like the experience of growing old and going to Disney World. You start to realize, like while you were younger, it seemed so much more um, mystical and 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 magical. Yeah. At least for me, you know, when I when yeah. I eat, eat dish style pizza now, I'm like, why are my toppings off of the pizza? Like, <laughs> yeah. I just scoop it all together into a bowl. It's like pizza soup. Calzone. It's terrible. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a place for a calzone. I got to say that. Uh, calzone's underrated and underrepresented, but. You sell a guy who'd eat a calzone as you're going on the golf course. <laughs> hey, I'm man, always... we just talked about no shame here. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I'm not shaming. I'm just saying that that yeah. seems I mean, like I would. Thing. 100%. I would carry a calzone in my golf cart. You can one in one hand and bombs. swing with the other. Yeah. No, you use both hands to swing the golf club. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Uh, I would just go back briefly in all seriousness because this is hilarious. But um, and yeah, I, not at all what I expected in answer to the question of what grinds your gears the most um, related to your role. But I appreciate it. And I would own that like oftentimes in issues like that, we're unconsciously part of the problem. Yeah. So like and it's like how we carry ourselves. So like I'll own my own part of the problem. And my wife and I have talked about this a lot is like my entire life I've been tall. Well, most of my life I was shorter when I was younger, but since I hit puberty, I've been tall and slim, totally outside of my control, hundred percent. But I've also been like crazy vain. I've been an insanely vain human being. And since we started having kids, like I'm like, I'm pretty tall and slim still, but I started gaining weight and freaking out about it. Like this is true confessions time. Um, but I, it's like freaking, it. well, but it's part of why though, going back to people's whys, and this is like, this is an important answer to the question is why are you freaking out about it? Like, why is it a big deal? You're a dad of three. It's okay to like, like it, it doesn't insinuate anything about you, but my brain, because of hard, you know, like the context in which we grow up, like the way that society views things such as weight, particularly American society views things such as weight, like it influences your brain in sometimes ways that are unconscious. And it's important to be like, no, this is, you don't have to apologize for this. It's not a problem. Like, should we as human beings endeavor to carry ourselves in a healthy fashion? Yeah, probably. At the same time, just like part of, what's probably more unhealthy for us is to obsess about our body image and our weight all the dang time, which is what we're told to do all the dang time. And it just breaks us. Like it's just a terrible thing to try and live with. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, it was incredibly kind of eye opening because obviously we're all humans, we all have body issues, but like the amount of like the ratio of of women who asked for like an XL or double XL and immediately apologized versus not, I was like getting very sad about it. I was like, why are you like, man, I'm not trying to make this a negative experience. I'm trying to just hand you some free shit. Like you seem uncomfortable. Like, why are you uncomfortable? Like be comfortable. You're Mm. a woman up here drinking bourbon and having fun and having a great memory. Like, don't make it a negative. Yeah. I, I don't know. So, yeah, 100%. And, it's, and, and I'm not blaming them or upset with them. I'm upset for what has 
happened to them that makes them think that yes. they should immediately follow that statement with an apology. Yeah. I'm like, don't apologize for wanting a bigger shirt. Yeah. Like, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, kind Thank of, a, kind of a, a weird answer, but nope. Great answer. It's been on my mind. I like so. it. Yep. Uh, an important answer. Thank you. Um, all right, uh, let's get back to Bardstown related to yeah. like your role, your path in whiskey. You live in Bardstown now. So Peoria mm -hmm. to Louisville to Bardstown. Mm -hmm. um, Bardstown's kind of like Peoria, yeah? In a way. Very different. Okay. Um, I wouldn't even compare them. I wouldn't even compare them. They're so different. Well, one, Bardstown is a tenth of the size. Peoria is a lot Bigger no, it's than people bigger think. than it seems, yeah. Maybe um, <laughs> if it's ten times the size of Bardstown, it's quite a bit bigger than it seems. I mean, Bardstown has like twelve thousand people, fifteen thousand people, something like that. Like Is that's Peoria that big wow. though, like one hundred twenty thousand. I think it's got probably eighty to one hundred thousand. At oh, least when I man. when I left there, it did. Um, so yeah, it's it's got a lot more than people think, hmm. but it. Very small town vibe, but geographically the footprint is large. Mm. Yeah, and and so Bardstown though, because that's really where I was going. Is like, tell tell me about your feelings in, in relationship to living in Bardstown. I I'm thrilled to live in Bardstown. Mm. So I've always been kind of a a bigger attracted to more bigger cities and and really loved louisville and and still do my boyfriend still has a house there so um but bart sounds great and i'm just gonna share one little story so i it's it's the people everything it's like why do you drink bart like it, why do you patron a brand it's the people like why do you love a town it's the people um and it's the nature like oh my god everybody's got big trees and big gardens and it's just very just quite beautiful um but my neighbors are everything to me and and this little community that i've i've found in bardstown is delightful so Obviously, last year uh, we, we used to have like block parties all the time, and and house parties where just you just find the music and you would just go into that person's house, and everybody would bring bourbon from, you know, where they worked or what they do because everybody's kind of tied into the industry somehow or another. And we didn't do that like all last year, mm. and it was very sad. And then we got snow one weekend where um, it was a lot of snow and it was packing snow. So one of my neighbors. Um, who works for Three Chord. Her name is Laura Webb. She's awesome. Um, she took a picture of us. She took her recycling bin, like the big box thing, and she packed it with snow and she made a bar in her front yard out of snow and oh, she yes. had lights on it. And she brought, um, she had a big kettle full of hot water and like honey and cinnamon so we could make hot toddies. Wow. And just sent a group text to the whole neighborhood was like, let's go <laughs> like let's go and nobody had really done that in a really long time and it is like mm. freezing cold freezing cold and there's like everybody's bringing like popcorn and bourbon and i'm making hot toddies and we're filling up thermoses this big um and we're all just like hanging out and that's what i love about bardstown mm. because um, you just don't get that in bigger cities i love i'm such a city person i love city life but i could never lock myself out of my house and then just knock on my neighbor's door and just drink wine with them until, uh, or whiskey until my boyfriend comes home from work mm -hmm. six hours later. And now we're drunk 
and you know, I, it's just, it's just a great, it's just a great little town. Like mm. everybody really kind of owns that Southern hospitality um, stereotype there in the most positive way. So I love it. Sweet. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. Um, I think that's the kind of that way or like in the middle, like Mount Washington, maybe it's halfway there. What happened to your yeah. mic? Are you using your headphones as your microphone today, Brian? I, that, I didn't think weird. I didn't think I was. I think you are. <laughs> It felt like it switched. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. that's weird. Yeah, you just froze. Oh, I totally have been. Oh man, yeah, that means the audio. I, totally, for I didn't freeze. Oh, now you sound great. Now you sound awesome. I thought I've been yeah. sounding great the whole time. Wow. No, you sounded like so you're in a fish tank. I was like, man, his mic is. I'm surprised weird. you I should have that, said. I should have said that an hour and twenty five minutes ago. <laughs> I am less concerned with the audio quality and more. I'm a content guy. I'm a content guy. Anyway, um, so uh, Sam, I told you this was going to happen, but I have to take a break. Very brief one. Yeah. Go to the bathroom. Uh, Brian, why don't you hit us with the next question here? Keep it rolling. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in this, you know, I I don't know if this ties in anything that we've talked about before. Um, We'll we'll take a, a brief a brief turn from Bargetown specifically, we'll, we'll go back to the industry as a whole. So, you know, so you're living in Bargetown. It seems like a lot of things are happening in Bargetown and then you're traveling away. So you're kind of going back and forth, but still a lot of the industry is happening. You know, what, what are, what is exciting you, whether it is something that you've been able to see while you've been out with people, whether it's something that's happening behind the scenes at Bargetown Bourbon Company or, or larger in um, American whiskey that, that has you excited? Um, man, uh, that's a tough question. Uh, because there's, there's so many things that come to mind. Uh, it, every, well, first of all, every day at Bardstown bourbon company, there's something new going on. And now that I'm, yeah. I'm traveling all the time, it's like, I come back and shit changes overnight. Like I'll be gone for what four days. And- yes. Yeah, so th- literally since we broke ground in 2014 when we bought the land, we have never been idle as far as construction goes. Like mm-hmm. we're always building something and usually multiple things. Um, so right now, like what's immediately like kind of short term, very um, fun to look forward to is we're building an outdoor bar on the patio um, and more patio seating. And, um, right out front, which I just see Tiki cocktails, patio, like uh, hog roast. I have like, I just want to do this whole thing. Um, then there's two Rick houses going up right out front mm-hmm. where it's kind of vacant. A lot of people thought we were going to be putting in a hotel there. We still might eventually, it's kind of not even on the radar for the time being, uh, but we are putting up two more rig houses and I believe at least one of them for sure, if not both of them are going to be entirely made out of glass. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then um, what just launched a couple weeks ago, May 12th, we launched our own bottling line. So we're now grain to glass, which is awesome. And we can provide that for our um, customers that we distill for as well. Um, so that's huge. Uh, it's like a Willy Wonka land of a bottling facility. So that's kind of a geeky thing to just say is exciting, but it's very exciting. Um, and then kind of like in the industry, I, 
to kind of tie that all together, I think Bardstown, Kentucky is on the up and up. I think that we kind of sparked something that's now driving a lot of competitors to kind of up their experience game. Yes. Just to be frank. Um, and I know that a lot of our neighbor competitors are building and haven't like released to the public exactly what they're building, but it's gonna, it's gonna put Bardstown even more on the map than it, than it currently is. And I think we're just going to get more hotels, more businesses. I think Bardstown's going to be just the coolest place in the world in a few years. And I already, I think it is, but I, I really do think it like in the next five years, Bardstown is just going to like take off. Are you telling um, me it's going to be harder to get into Mammy's now? <laughs> Come on. It will never be that hard to get into Mammy's unless it's St. <laughs> Patty's Day. And there's I've a never, DJ. I've never been to Mammy's. So. Oh, you got to go at night when they turn it into like a full blown club. And yeah. Yeah, it's very fun. It's very fun. So if you're um, a real estate investor, now's the time to buy houses in Bardstown. Yeah, I mean, it's still expensive. Like, it's it's pretty comparable to uh, what Louisville would be. Mm. You know, it's not it's not Nashville yet or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I I think that they're, yeah, it's, it's only going to go up from here for, for Bardstown as kind of a, a tourist city. Yeah, um, I think I agree so. with you. Yeah. Uh, so what was the that question? What excites you? I assume that's what you hit. Yeah. 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 Sweet. Well, let's get into Bardstown specifically then. Um, okay. And I mean, when you first went to Bardstown, you, you mentioned opening the bar experience. How involved are you in that on a daily basis these days? None. Um, Not at actually. all. Oh, so okay. yeah. So I have completely stepped away from the bar, other than doing um, cocktail classes here and there. Um, which still isn't like the barn restaurant at all. Um, I'm pretty well removed and I'm really excited to see some kind of um, more up and coming talent behind our bar. Uh, Mara Hardings moved here, relocated here from um, Ohio, having a, a culinary background, but had never bartended before. And now she is the beverage director um, and she is killing it. And she don't need my help. I do. I do taste her cocktails sometimes. She'll when she's working on stuff, I'll give her some feedback. But she don't need it. She's um, just absolutely crushing the game. So uh, we definitely have left um, a good succession there. Mm. A good yeah. How would you describe the drink experience there at the kitchen and bar? I mean, because like the the vintage spirits room is and that list is uh you know, legendary best. yeah so i mean we talked about that a little bit with danny we were sitting in the vintage spirits library which is an amazing room this is like the best room i've ever been in anyway we're not talking about that tell me about the you know specifically the cocktail experience there so the cocktail experience is educational and uh, hospitality first so However you want, really, I mean, I, I think it's still this way, but I think when, when I was working behind the bar and any bar I've ever worked behind, my biggest goal is to make a customer feel safe and comfortable and non-judged and, and all of those things. So even though, 
you know, we all kind of joke about people that ask for, you know, Coke with their pappy or whatever. Um, I really do feel like just providing a good, comfortable space for, for somebody to enjoy themselves is always the first goal. But past that, you know, you, you have this bar in a distillery that, that has, you know, their own brand, but you see hundreds of different brands behind the bar. So to be in a distillery, you, you pretty much already know if you're in that distillery, you're there because you want to know more about bourbon, right? Or you would just go to Louisville to go out to eat, you know? Um, people that come, you know, step foot in our distillery get this really unique experience because everybody that works behind the bar, in the kitchen, they know about the brand. They know about how we produce what we do. But we also have all these other products. So we just kind of have this, big wide open door to say like you know just be educational you don't have to be you know forcing the brand down anybody's throat just you know what bourbons are they interested how you know what kind of educational experience can you give them and cocktails especially like i love getting people that are um like with groups you know for a bachelor party or whatever they're like oh, i don't drink bourbon i'm just here for the ride i'm like have you been given bourbon the way that maybe like suits you? Like, have mm. you tried a Kentucky mule? Have you tried an old fashioned? Maybe that old fashioned, you know, um, th there's a way to drink out to where you can enjoy it or with water, you know, and, and getting somebody who walked in there, not ready to try any bourbon to get to drink bourbon some way, I feel like is where, that cocktail experience kind of comes in and what you can expect from any of the bartenders that work there currently or have ever worked there is just non-judgment and education to provide the best comfortable space for that person possible. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a good time. Yeah. Um, so the first episode we recorded for the pod was with Dan and I felt a little bit, I felt imposter syndrome when we showed up. Like we're starting yeah. a podcast. I'm like Dan, can we come record with you, man? Because Brian had met Dan, and we just wanted to record with some industry people. And I knew very little about Bardstown at the time because you guys weren't distributed in Wisconsin until like a month ago. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's been relatively new. Uh, my wife and I had eaten lunch there not long after it opened uh, during our first Kentucky trip ever. Um, and you know, I'd started the channel in October anyway, big, uh, imposter syndrome. Um, and I forgot where I was going. We're all just starting up, man. <laughs> like we're, we're just, we're just starting up a brand. You're just starting up a podcast. Oh. Like we, yeah, yeah. Ah, man, I had, it was going to be a good question. I was leading into that with Panesh. You, you were talking about in the room and you were what, what were you gonna say you're, you're talking about imposter you're talking about <sighs> come on man i'm digging i'm digging hard Cre creating a good experience oh, oh yes service. yes that's it that, well that was it it's like so we show up there and i it was like a dream come true really it was i like, i yeah. felt like this is awesome like just talking to people being welcomed in and of you know, we're there to record a podcast but everybody was so nice and the stuff is incredible like, so yeah. the food is wonderful. Like, my wife and I had an awesome lunch. Um, everybody who we've sent there has said, you know, the food was incredible. We're like, we know, the food's incredible. And then uh, Danny said, hey, you want to you wanna drink? When we showed up, and we're like, of course we want to drink. Like, we're not going to say no to that. 
and then um, said, let's do barrel age old fashioned and man alive. Like I, he, you know, they're the little jugs of it that um, I don't know if you guys give those out on the regular, those little pint size or whatever. No, never. He gave them to us and I was so happy because then I had like two more one after I had gotten home. Um, but uh, that was, it was amazing. So tell us about that, that, because I just have to hear the background. I didn't actually ask him, like, what's the story behind how this old-fashioned yeah. is created? Because I love an old-fashioned. I mean, I'm not a big cocktail guy, but it's my favorite cocktail, a bourbon old-fashioned specifically. And that one was unbelievable. So Dan and I were on a team of four. The other two were Brandy, who I mentioned earlier. Awesome. Freaking female badass. Um, and Hobby who um, still works with the brand. He he did end up becoming the beverage director and now he is in production. So he's helping um, make the juice, which is super cool. But we were the four that started the cocktail program and uh, had all known each other in the industry before. And, um, you know, as we're kind of just in like, creative mode you know so the restaurant wasn't open yet but we were you know ordering the glassware and building out a cocktail menu and stuff like that we were like man we probably need a barrel aged cocktail because that just makes sense right and so we were looking on like amazon for like those five liter like little barrels that you see on top of bars and we were just all kind of like doesn't it seem kind of ridiculous that we have a mini barrel when we get like hundreds of barrels in here every single day, like every single day we have like a thousand barrels delivered. You know what I mean? Um, like how hard would it be to just grab one and, and like, can we pour 50 gallons of product into one and sit on that as like a deficit in your inventory to start with? So it was a very logistics like wise and, and business wise, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. We're like, Hey, we want to spend a shit ton of fucking money. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that we want, we aren't going to make back. It's not going to be very measurable immediately. So like, it, like to start a bar in that kind of deficit and, and it didn't make any sense. It didn't sure, make any sure. sense. Uh, but we just knew we had to do it and and we made it happen so we get two fresh barrels um and this was like day one and we do a manhattan in one we do an old-fashioned the other and i've never had so much fun in my life like that was one of those yeah. things that now i feel like i'm a little jaded on like i see us filling the barrels and i'm like oh you know it's news. But, uh, news. yeah but like when we first did it like we got all hands on deck because you had to pour like you're filling up 50 gallons worth of a cocktail, uh, mm. right? So you're pouring like 40 cases of bourbon in there, like minimum for an old fashioned, 40 cases. <laughs> it's so much bourbon. And so we had to make it fun. So we were making games out of it to see like who could get like the right, like little, like, like, like tornado of water yeah, to where uh -huh. it, would, it would come out and like point, we were having like contests to see who could dump it the quickest. And, um, but what's really cool about that is that you can make a cocktail that's pretty much impossible to replicate on a small size because yeah. when you're, when you're mixing with 50 gallons of, of product of ingredients of spirit and booze, um, you can get to some, you can get to some really, uh, creative blending, uh, kind of mm -hmm. techniques. So, you know, you got 40 
cases of bourbon like let's throw in fusion what complements fusion some old forester banana notes like let's throw in some old forester um you know we could really take every component of that cocktail and break it down into a million different things which is impossible to recreate in a single recipe right in a, in a single serving recipe so and each barrel would kind of gain its own personality much like single barrel bourbons mm -hmm, do mm -hmm. and we got to play around with that one time and i remember one time dan calloway was just like i think a bottle of rum will do the trick like a bottle a 750 milliliter of, uh, of rum in a 53 gallon barrel is like pennies to the dollar right like it's like that yes, wasn't not trying to make a fi financial analogy but sure. like you know what i mean it was like it was like nothing but it like just man it just did the trick huh. it just made something magical happen in that barrel to where we could get just very creative and and kind of treat every barrel differently and and it was really cool and then it was really cool well it wasn't cool that COVID happened and our restaurant shut down but it mm -hmm. was really cool that we had like a 15 month aged old-fashioned when we open back up again because we weren't selling any for so long that's um, right <laughs> yeah so and we would infuse barrels like uh our first barrel we did with rose petals and eucalyptus that was really cool um and and we've done some other unique things so it's you have to go see like what batch they're on so like the menu we also changed the menu to read like what barrel we're on or what mm. batch so like, you know, if it's the last one, how many have passed since the last time you were here and if it would be the same, yeah. you know, it's, it's cool. It's super cool. Mm. <laughs> They're really great cocktails. How was your old fashioned when you had one? I mean, it was life changing. Like that's it why is I life changing. It, it was yeah. so, so good. Because you can honestly never have an, uh, an old fashioned again and not compare it to that. And it kind of ruins it. I completely agree. Yeah. It kind of ruins I'm like, it. I'm chasing, honestly. I'm chasing that feeling. And it was yeah. there, that feeling was a high for a lot of reasons. Being there, number one, because it was like, well, the second time I had been at that facility. But being from Wisconsin, I'm not down in Kentucky every week, you know. Right. Um, first recording of our podcast in that vintage spirits room with this barrel aged, old fashioned talking bourbon with Brian and with Danny, and it was uh, such a high, so fun. And, and I don't think I talked to. I don't think I talked to Drew about this, but I had gone with uh, to lunch with a with a buddy. I, I like to bring some of my staff at Quills um, down to Bardstown and either have lunch at Willet because we do the coffee bar at Willet. So I'm, I'm bringing kegs of cold brew there, or we'll come have lunch with you all. I just want people to have an experience at a place that just like shows great customer service and hospitality. Just to get an example of that in a different way. Um, and I had a I had a drink. I was on the menu that was discovery four but with like a like a seaweed water or something what? like what is this something of yes. yours yes no so this so, is so, um th this is my yeah. so's cocktail so um my significant other is hobby um mm -hmm. and he's he's in production now but he was the beverage director for a long time and he truly like i had on randy earlier um the only reason i am as good as i am at cocktails is because what i've learned from people that I bartend with. Right. And, and I put hobby and Randy in that same like highest regard because hobby came up with that cocktail and it was so cool. It was a smoked glass, which was also his idea. And I, I don't know if he saw it somewhere or whatever, but just to, 
um, we were using this like really fancy bar tool to smoke glasses. Um, and I'm sure there's a name for it and I'm sure I'm just being an idiot, but it was, it was like a something battery powered. Right. And he was like, man, I don't know why we're spending all this money on these like cheap tools that break and like need new batteries and all this stuff when we can just chop up a, like a, a slice of a stave, like a charred mm -hmm. piece of stave, barrel stave, and just literally light that on fire and stick the cup over the top. So mm -hmm. that's how he would prime the glass. And then um, he would make this cocktail that was served neat um, with discovery four and seaweed water and um, some sort of like um, really unique bitters or bitter liqueur. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what it was. I think it was like Foro Amaro or something. Anyways, that's one of the best cocktails I've ever had in my life. It's amazing. And, going into what you were saying about having stuff however you want it. Like you would yeah. think that in, in another setting, someone would be like, why would you ever do some discovery for? It's this premium thing. Dude, that like, cocktail you, you, was so good. It's, amazing. it's so good. I, it's still on the I don't even know what seaweed water is. Like, I well, just can't even, I don't have a mental category for that. It's like brown, it's kind of briny. It's okay. basically just like a, a little bit of a, so you get like just a, a salty seawater kind of brine. Sure, okay. Um, that's totally, you know, consumable, if you will. <laughs> sure. So he just took dehydrated seaweed and soaked mm -hmm. it in water. And there's definitely a specific ratio to make sure to get the most flavor um but uh and then you just use that water to dilute the cocktail and now i'm starting to think that it's not even a chill drink like even though it's diluted with seaweed water i don't I know it that it's stirred with ice so it's like room temperature which is also mm -hmm. just thinking very outside the box of what we typically know in cocktails and it's really freaking good like it's it's a it's it's um it's now a permanent fix on the menu i might have to go there um, tomorrow i gotta take stuff mm -hmm. down tomorrow i might have to go let's back go i also want to find a way to teach people how to make this in virtual cocktail classes um but the smoked glass portion is a little bit complicated for me to because the whole point of i love that sound um the whole point of like the cocktail classes is that these are like somewhat accessible ingredients mm -hmm. or things like that and smoking a glass kind of isn't Exactly, or it could be dangerous. Yep. I don't know. I'm gonna figure it out. We'll make it work. Uh, First, we sell these uh, Barshan Bourbon Company branded torches. Um, <laughs> yeah, a couple, a couple of three sets of barrel stave pieces. Love it, love it. Uh, what bottle? What bottle you got there? Drew? This is Discovery Four. Um, oh, nice. I've got a. I've got two backups. I loved it so I much. I, I I worked to to get some. Um, it's tasty. Yes. Uh, Sam, you the one to, did you incept one of the discoveries? I blended discovery three. Okay. Nice. Which was okay. great. I, full transparency. I, I'm pretty sure that that, that three is my favorite. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not just saying that yeah. cause you're on here. No, 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 no. I, I, I totally appreciate it. I, I think that that, I mean, it's funny because we, we all get to blend for the company and just doesn't guarantee that your blend gets to the bottle, right? So, um, you know, Dan blends and, and we all blend. And, and I think, I would assume at least that we're all making something that we really like, right? And it's kind of funny when um, 
sounds a little pretentious, but like, it's really, it's kind of funny because like, if you really like it, you're not a super unique individual. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay to make something that's like for you. Like yeah. my blend was not for anybody else. Like my blend was like, this is what I want in a bourbon. Yeah. And then it was cool to see it so well received. And then you're kind of like, duh, like if you like it, there's probably a hundred thousand other people that like it, you know what I mean? So, um, it's awesome to to hear people say that they like that blend. I hope it's not the last time I blend, uh, you know, where one of my blends gets in the bottle, but we'll see. Yeah, I think that's a good point is often when things bear the moniker of pop or popular, they kind of suck. And so it's like a helpful, it's a helpful exercise. If you're thinking about developing a product, we do this in coffee where it's like, you want to make something that you are, super proud of because that has actually you're you're designing for what i've talked about on this channel is the smallest viable audience like an audience that you personally are engineered to meet like i i have things in common with these people and so i i will design for me and for them and i know that what i'm designing will hit their needs my needs their needs and we'll share that in common and it's going to be contagious like that is a pretty magnetic place to start from. It's also one of my favorite um, pieces of kind of like hospitality or like restaurant isms that I, I, I feel like applies to a lot of things in life and uh, different categories of business is uh, a restaurant for everyone is a restaurant for no one. Mm. So like you can't like chilies. Yeah, like you can't make a menu like, why don't you have salmon? Because we just don't have salmon here. You know what I mean? Like we can't just have everything, (laughs) right? Because then we wouldn't be successful. Like we wouldn't be known for anything. We wouldn't, you know, a a restaurant for everyone is a restaurant for no one. And I think about that too, like with bourbon. Like it's totally okay to have an unpopular opinion. I feel like I don't hear that enough. Yeah. And it's really hard for like startups and entrepreneurs and and things like that to really say like, man, like, how are we going to identify? Because then you, you build that and you, you, what you do more than anything is you start eliminating audiences or eliminating people. And, and you don't like to do that because you're like, oh man, I just want something for everybody. And, um, you know, I, I think the bourbon category itself is for everybody. And I think eventually after we have, you know, more products and more uh, state-only distilled products and stuff like that, we can kind of build that. But in the beginning, you do have to think, like, who are we for, you know? Yeah. And it's a weird conversation. Uh, but it's how, if you if you really want to be, a you know, something for everybody, you kind of have to start slowly and build out and that's what we're doing so yeah. i don't even know where that came from but it just popped in my brain i thought i would share it yeah i don't know what your thoughts are with the procedure of how you all like do the the bracket or whatever to to get to who's who's you recipe you go with after fan of that or not but i'll say we did start i started implementing that um at quills for our seasonal drinks in spring that's and so, so cool. it's our second season for doing that and everyone like seeing the team be creative and engage with with what could possibly be the drinks. It just brings a breath of fresh air to the cafe that I I had missed for a couple of years. That sounds awesome. And and like what good culture that builds too. Like 
we, we just like one of the first things we talked about tonight was like, you know, uh, the vibe, the energy, the passion from, you know, me and Dan and, and everybody that you meet when you walk into the distillery. Um, 90% of that is because of the inclusivity and in our, and our collaborative way of creating product and making everybody feel like they have an equal chance or they have a part in building that brand really makes everybody very excited to show up for work and to show people that visit us a, a great experience. And man, little things like that make a, such a huge difference mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. Well, Sam, we're on track to go overtime. So I wanted to check in with you before we just like assume another 20 minutes of your evening. I'm, I'm totally fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. right. I love the conversation. So this is great. Cool. Yeah. So we've got two more big questions and then, you know, crowdfunded questions. I sure. Somebody's been chiming in and I forget who, but we'll find it. Um, asking for recipes. We'll get to those at the end. We'll try and make them very brief. But um, we'll begin wrapping up with a you know, more of a, a goal-oriented question. And that is... You know, from where you're at now, do you have goals? Like, what are your goals either at Bardstown or in the industry? Do you have an end game as you approach your career? Or are you just, like, vibing pretty hard where you're at right now? A little bit of both. I mean, I would love to be the CEO of the company. That's a, that's a long way. Like, business away, aspirations but... beyond, like, craft aspirations? Because those are yeah. big, like, from where you got into Bardstown to like CEO. Those are very different types of work. Yeah. Never going to happen. Um, not, but no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. That, doesn't that is not what I was saying. I'm that saying they're very different types of work. So I was asking yeah. like, do you really want to be CEO? <laughs> I would be a boss ass CEO. I trust me. I have a lot to I'm not, learn I don't uh, doubt before it. I could, I could be there, but I do think that um, I, I have an ability, I think a lot of it because of bartending and, mm. and restaurant industry to just kind of assess, you know, uh, observe, like I'm very good at observations. I can see the writing on the wall, right. And make proactive decisions to either mm. stay on, stay on track or to avoid a bad situation or anything like that. Um, but I am vibing my position so hard right now, mm. like that I don't see, myself going anywhere. I just want to make my contributions bigger and better as I, as I continue. I have absolutely zero marketing background, mm. uh, but I'm on the marketing team and I have a lot of marketing responsibilities and I'm very, very grateful for that because it's just a, an invaluable experience to work in marketing for a startup brand that is as big as our brand is going to be. I get to see every little piece along the way of how to build a brand and how to roll out a brand and grow a brand that it's just like, it's incredible. And I don't see that slowing down. I don't see myself coasting and just kind of becoming complacent and totally comfortable. I am not comfortable with comfortability. Let's mm, put it that way. I like, like that. I like, I like to be challenged. I like to be overwhelmed even. And, and that's kind of a toxic trait of mine, to be honest, sure. but it comes from working for 15 years in restaurants. Like my favorite shift in a restaurant was one where all fucking hell broke loose. Like <laughs> I live for those freaking shifts, man. And I bet you Brian knows what I'm talking about too. Just where it's just, you're just 
pumping it out and you're laughing because you're doing the absolute best you can. You know that anything that's out of your control is out of your control and you're just kind of riding through the waves. Uh, that's how I feel with my role as national brand ambassador, because to be quite honest with you, which I don't think anybody else in the company uh, would probably say is like, it's been crazy. <laughs> it has been so crazy. I have seen some shit dude i have seen um just political climates within oh, yeah. you know yeah. working with different companies and with leadership and with you know pissing off competitors making friends with competitors like i've i've seen all these pros and cons that i'm just like i would have like i, I will i know i'm going to take this knowledge with me for the rest of my life mm. so i don't see myself really moving out of national brand ambassador for a long time and if I did, I don't even know what it would be. I think between here and that point, I get to where I'm just like a pro at my job, which I'm not. Mm. Uh, and I'm just like, well, I'm, I could do this in my sleep. It's so comfortable. <laughs> like I see that. I see that being like like five to ten years down the road. To which then there there will be some niche path for me that I have mm. not found yet. But it's mm -hmm. not it's not going to be the CEO. I won't be the CEO. But I you know what I mean? I, I, I just, I don't know what it is and I'm excited for the journey. I love that idea cool. of the niche, niche path. Like I used to be, and I, I this is, I'm going to ask you another question in a minute, but Brian has a question. We got a lot of questions. Um, the niche path, I think is totally under, undervalued. Yeah. I mean, this is a podcast about you. We talk too much. You're talking the right <laughs> amount. The niche path is totally undervalued in human existence where it's like, what's your path? Not the path you think you should have or the path you think people want you to have. What's the path that's like right for you? Because I like bring a lot of like, what should I do? Like, I have a sense of duty. Like, I'm an American. Like, what do I do? And it's like, no, man, like, what do you want to do? Like, what are you uniquely engineered? Like, in your humanity and your personness, like, what should you be doing? given the way that you're wired. Like that's the question that I've been trying to answer for the last 18 months. And like each day is like, wake up and like, how can I do more of the Drew stuff and less of the other people's stuff? Not that it's yeah. worse. It's not, it's better for them and worse for me, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I love that question. I think I everybody, has, everybody has to ask that question too, you know, is like, it, it's, it's not so black and white. The older you get, it's like, you have to find where where Sam fits in to to this career or this world or whatever. So, you know, we're all just figuring figuring it Figure out. Figure it out. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, what were you gonna you say? You struck a chord with me because I, you know, even be, prior to working at um, at Quills, I worked for a board game company. I, I organized events and did, did, did so it's, it doesn't even matter specifically where I worked, but I I like to work in a lot of busyness when there's a lot of moving pieces and in high stress. And what's weird is because you generally around people that stress is like a negative thing. And there's a right. lot of like tension. It seems like sometimes with people and, and sometimes it's hard for me to take pause and say, Hey, look, I prefer to work. Like I'm going to get a little loud and I'm, but, but, but how, but to me, it's, it keeps my brain moving instead of just doing the same minutia every time if i'm if i'm constantly going and trying to troubleshoot and think i think they're i think you do need maybe a quality control uh, or sorry not a, a damage control kind of person who's like checking in like 
was that okay? Like, you know, you know like, like checking, checking in my wake or, in your, you know, in the wake of us. But like at the same time, it's the movers like that. I feel like that can help um, continue to see uh, blind spots or to continue to work in things because you, I don't know. I just always like, yeah, it just struck a chord with me. And, and I appreciate hearing someone who <sighs> resonates in that same way because I, I don't find a lot of people who do. I think a lot, a lot more people do than you think. And I think that's why, you know, during COVID so many people suffered mentally. So, so miserably because like me being one of them, like I live for chaos. I can't explain it. Like it's, I'm more, and, and, and people think they look at me and they look at my lifestyle and they say, man, she's such an extrovert. I'm actually not an extrovert at all. I am so socially awkward. Um, I get very anxious in, in social situations. What provides me comfort is chaos because when there's chaos, I can slip away or I can disappear or something else can happen that distracts the conversation. And I missed, I, I realized, and I always like labeled myself as an extrovert until COVID last year. And then I realized like the reason I needed the crowds and the and the busyness and the chaos was so I could be more invisible. And then you got into these social situations or these weird, um, which now I'm totally comfortable with, silver lining of, of COVID. But like, this would have terrified me like a year ago. Like oh, the idea the pod. of- Yeah, I, and uh, being on camera and talking to two strangers at, you know, and, and the expectation of chemistry and flow and conversation, like would have been very overbearing. Mm. And now I'm comfortable with it. And, and that's a great accomplishment and a stride, right? But Absolutely. Um, for, for restaurant industry people, I think it's, it is just kind of this buzz, right? It's like having the fan on while you go to bed. It's just kind of, there's, there's something to, there's something beautiful about the noise that, that makes you feel more at peace. And then when you don't have it, you're stressed as hell and you don't know what to do with yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's just, it's just, it's just a, a, a weird observation. So that's a great segue into the, the final outline question. And that's okay. the question we ask all of our folks. And it's probably the weirdest question to ever show up on a bourbon podcast, but that is how do you define purpose? Like as you get out of bed every morning and you're like, huh, I'm going to live life today. What is the thing that drives you to do such, to do the thing, to crush it? What a loaded question. Okay. Well, there, um, the word purpose is a motive in my life because it has taken on different meanings for yeah. me. And I've recently found, I think for most human beings, we wake up and say, what is my purpose, right? And a lot of times it has to do with what you do for work. And a lot of times it has to do with what you do after work, right? And in your spare time and, and things of that nature in, in your job is just to provide you sustenance, right? And that's all good and fine too. Um, I think real happiness is meant when you can kind of make it one seamless thing. And I know that that is not very common, but I think purpose really becomes fulfilling when you can take something that makes you happy 
and apply it to every part of your life, meaning your job, your social relationships, your um, your 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 family, how you spend your spare time, things, all of those things, right? So I, to be very frank, like I, I think about it a lot as like, hey, like I'm I work in spirits, right? Like there are a lot of people that that suffer because of the industry for, mm. for things that shouldn't be taboo. Um, um, but, but are, uh, amongst spirit producers, we don't talk about addiction. We don't talk about mental health. And, uh, I hate that because we feel culpable. We feel guilty in some way, but I think about the way that I use brand education to, um, and, and maybe this sounds like I'm an idiot and, and I'm so sorry if, if this is going to offend anybody or if this rubs a, a sore spot with anybody. I think you're probably on the right channel to go to say something offensive because I, I don't I know don't, if you watched all my videos. I don't want to, I don't want to make anybody upset um, or, or emotionally triggered or anything of that nature. But I do feel like the more you can geek out about, what's in your glass, the better the chance you are to not abuse it. Mm, so mm -hmm. I, I love that Bardstone Bourbon Company comes from this um, this approach of, of education and transparency because you should care about what's in the glass other than the fact that it's going to give you a good buzz. Do we mm -hmm. like it for that? Yes. And there's nothing to be ashamed for for that, I think. Um, but that's that's how I find my purpose is the more I can educate people, the more I can give people a reason to care what the mash bell is or where the grain came from or, or what kind of barrels we aged in. The more I know that they're really going to be present in that moment when they're experiencing it, when they're drinking it. And, and that's the best space to be in. Once again, like we don't want to make a habit of just like needing something in our hands or, needing an excuse to walk away to go order a drink or whatever like we, we want the conversation we want the moment to be centered around this american spirit that we're making as a part of ceremony as a part of ritual right of, as part of growing our roots as the youngest country and the youngest culture in the world right like let's let's make good habits let's make good memories and let's make good friends and in, in meeting people over bourbon right so um you know uh, my job is is less of a job and more of a lifestyle because i'm always on brand i'm always thinking about the brand and that's very easy for me because i enjoy it and because i make it purposeful mm -hmm. so purpose is very important yeah i think the best brand ambassadors are the ones who naturally identify with the brand because like, it's hard to perform like you we're like I said earlier, you're slinging bourbon all day. You know, it was a hot day out there in Chicago. It was warm. It was rough. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got to <laughs> yeah. come on and do this thing. And like, if you, if you're not passionate about it, if you don't feel personally connected with it, it's, it's going to drain you. Like it's, you're, you're eventually just going to bite the dust. You'll burn out if there's not a heavy personal alliance with the mission and the identity of yeah. the product you're trying to hustle. Yeah, and hustle is totally the wrong word, but it's okay. It's I mean, hustle in terms of the like if you're trying to hustle out a bunt, a uh, single to yeah. first base, that kind of hustle, not yeah, like a, yeah. yeah, not like I, you're trying. We, to... we definitely hustle. We know yeah. how to hustle. Yeah. Boom! All right, sweet. All right, um, 
Nation, let's hear from you all. Any parting questions for Sam? Um, I'm going to try and find somebody super chatted. Okay, Andrew yeah, Beck. The one who gave us the wine. question. Yes, Andrew Beck said, what is Sam's Manhattan recipe? Or your, <laughs> or your daiquiri recipe? So two requests, oh, Manhattan okay. and a daiquiri. So I can make a Manhattan 18 different ways till Sunday. Like, What's your I, favorite Manhattan recipe? <laughs> Um, it's it's so choice. impossible to tell. So I, I do um, tend to lean on this very classic recipe that's a little bit um, under, a, a little more obscure, but it's very, very old, uh, where it uses a dash of, um, not even a dash, a, a couple drops of absinthe in it with a, a rye-based Manhattan. So rye whiskey, sweet vermouth, dash of bitters, um, a, a dr like literally a drop of absinthe and then uh, a lemon peel garnished on top. And that is really freaking good as far as just kind of having a unique Manhattan. Um, I, I do really like black Manhattans um, where they split the, or use instead of vermouth, um, Averna, which is a very um, dark, bittersweet uh, Italian liqueur. Um, I also like, and I'm pretty sure there's a name for it, like a classic or like a, like a modern classic, if you will, um, where instead of using cocktail bitters, I use a bar spoon of Frenet. Mm. Frenet is one of my biggest crazy. guilty pleasures. Oh my gosh, I, some crazy so stuff. I, <laughs> I look like a hipster. I talk like a hipster and I drink Frenet. I am literally a walking you, stereotype. You think straight? <laughs> oh, Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Frenet is so good. And not just Frenet Branca. Oh like God. everybody everybody thinks Frenet Branca when they think Frenet, but Frenet is like a category. And there's actually a great one that I had from Chicago called Leather Bee that is Chef's Kiss. Um and, and yeah, it's it's a very, very, very bitter liqueur. So it, you know, use a bar spoon of it or maybe even half a bar spoon of it if you're if you're new to bitter spirits instead of cocktail bitters in your drink. And it's very good. Also, it helps you digest your meal. Like if you ate a little too much because dinner was just so good, have a little Frenet or put a little Frenet in your Manhattan. And it literally, our bodies register the flavor of bitter as poisonous. It's a, it's a self-defense mechanism, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So as soon as we taste something bitter, um, our bodies start digesting to kind of not great table talk, but to expel it as soon as possible. Yeah, right. No, so, yeah. um, that's, that's why bitter spirits are drank either before a meal to open up the appetite or after Get a meal out. to help digest. I feel so, like I would just have an allergic reaction, which I'm prone to, um, not a surprise to the nation. They know I have a weak disposition, but that's, that's really helpful. I may try that. That's really interesting. Do it. Bar spoon of Fernet instead of uh, bitters in your Manhattan. It's very Let's delicious. Go. Okay. 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 And a good vermouth. If you can actually spend your time to choose a good vermouth. Which you vermouth, tell me what's a good vermouth. Because if you're like me, you have no idea what a good vermouth is. Uh, my go-to vermouth is Koki. Uh, vermouth di Torino. Um, which has this very like velvety, soft uh, mouthfeel. Um, and this kind of like bubblegum flavor. Okay. which is sweet, which is sweet, but not rich. It's still like very herbaceous, like sweet vermouth has like a very notable herbaceous quality. It's infused. Um, 
with tons of Italian herbs and, and, and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, Koki is a great one. It's not terribly expensive. C O C C H I. Um, and they, it's a brand that has many different things, right? Mm -hmm. So get the sweet vermouth for your Manhattan. They've got, got aperitifs and, and dry vermouths and things of that nature too, but great brand. So helpful. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have you on another time just to talk about liqueurs cuz I know <laughs> about liqueurs. Uh, and I would I would love to do that. Things. Uh, I would love to do that. What we'll do, I'm I, I'm not going to guarantee this, but what I'll propose is that we'll do a live stream of Sam teaches Drew to make cocktails. We can do it tomorrow, honestly. I'm ready to i uh, i love cocktails yeah i love cocktails and when i are, love give, giving when, people the tools to make them at home when are you going to be in milwaukee we can do it at my bar okay. which is right here <laughs> and let's uh, talk, or, like, let's if you talk drive through milwaukee mm -hmm. yeah nation this is going to be great anyway if we don't do it now we'll do it later it'll be fun all right um we'll let the baby do a cameo on that that stream that that should be fun yay <laughs> lots of questions um oh tom wants to know if you're going to come through columbus ohio uh yes. on the tour you are when mm -hmm. i don't know everything is very loose but i know columbus is, is on the but milwaukee is, is on, not but i'm sure you'll drive like through it either you're either going through milwaukee or you're going through peoria so yeah you're right i think we are gonna gonna make a stop in columbus okay. i think so all right so i'll work on it We've seen a lot of questions for uh, Disco Five information. Like Discovery Five, mm. like when and what? Yeah, Discovery Five. Um, if I remember right, I haven't been at the distillery this week, but um, it what's today? Oh, okay. So it was supposed to be bottled first week of June in our bottling line. After that, it's pretty quick now for us to get to um distribution and then on the mm. shelves so nice. next I, they're probably just in bottling right now uh but we are bottling a lot very quickly um so i th i think we'll have everything out i want to say by like june 13th we'll see wow. discovery five and what are oh the specs gosh. on that yeah they're <laughs> You're catching me after a few glasses of wine. Um, so I, I know, I know that there is um, the oldest bourbon that we've ever put in a bottle before. It's not ours; it's sourced, obviously, but it's 17-year bourbon is going to be in the blend. Um, and the other parts are a little bit younger than some of the age statements that we've seen, just to kind of counterbalance that age in the 17-year. So still flavor profile wise, it's got like a 12 to 15 kind of um, average flavor profile. Um, and it's incredible. I think it's, I think it's very interesting. I think, I think discovery right now is on uh, a roll because discovery two, three and four, all one double golds. We didn't, we never entered series one in, or I'm sure it would have, but a lot of speculation there. Um, and I think, Discovery five is in line to, to be, um, just as good quality wise, but flavor profile, I think it's very unique as they all have kind of been like series two was kind of like this big, huge caramel bomb that you couldn't taste a hint of the proof in at cast strength. Um, 
three had like this like sweet soft kind of feminine flavor profile honestly and then four was like spicy and robust and flavorful and i think five is kind of its own beast i don't think it's very comparable to anything flavor wise that we've put out before um so really excited for everybody to get it in the next couple of weeks um ask ask your liquor store owners when they're getting it in um everybody always wants to know like man it sells out so quickly how can i get it make relationships with your liquor store owners like they like that they they want repeat customers they want relationships with their customers like mm-hmm. ask them like don't be afraid and um yeah it's just going to help you get better product in and be the first to know about when when it comes in yeah so here's the thing though is i have good relationships at two stores one right down the road one downtown actually on the east side um and they're like they actually kind of rely on me to tell them what's coming and what they need to ask their distributor for. And that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's fine. Like that's they got other things to worry about than bourbon. And so I'm like, can you please try and get this for me? Um, I promise you it will sell. Like if you have it on your shelf, I promise you you will sell it. If not, I'll buy out your case. Like anyway, Yeah, that's awesome. Um but uh like the I, I actually sat so I was in Long story. I'll spare you. <laughs> Bottom line is it's not super transparent always from the distributors when they're going to let it out and who they're going to let it out to. And that gets a little, it feels a little sketchy. I, I, I want to dig more into the world of distribution because it feels not always on the up and up. Do you have any insight on that, Sam? This is totally out of left field, but yeah. So <laughs> So uh, the reason that America has a three-tier system, right, which is producer, distributor, and then retailer or or bar, um, is to make sure that we we don't, you know, make people pay to play, right? Like, so we 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 legally can't tell people, like, hey, you have to buy so much fusion in order to get discovery, um, but it does work as a tool for distributors not the producers to sell more product, but entry level or bottom line product to get the, the nicer allocated ones. Right. Because that's, you know, all of your distributor reps are paid by commission mostly. And, um, so we have no say in that we have no say in it. And there's definitely brands that even though they're not supposed to have a say in it, they definitely have a say in it. What we try to do is just be fair. And the only thing we can do legally is encourage, you know, methods for distributors to use. And we encourage them to put our product in the hands of people that aren't going to buy it in bulk and sell it for eight times as much on the secondary market. Why would we, like, why would we help those people out, right? Like we want to put it in hands of people that want to enjoy the whiskey, share the good news about the whiskey, make content, you know, make friends and, and all of those things. So, um, definitely as a small brand, we, we try to, um, really support our local independent stores because those are the ones that, you know, really help move the needle for a small brand Mm -hmm. because, you know, going into a total wine, you can, uh, you know, often just get a very check-in, check-out kind of customer employee interaction. But at a local independent store, you get employees that actually, 
know what they're selling and love turning people on to new things and love educating their, their customers that come in about what they're buying or what they should buy. So we like very much to support those accounts. It's when we are out doing our um, mobile tour with our, our sampling unit, we're, we're focusing on supporting those accounts. So um, most of it is completely out of our hands. Once we hire the distributor, they do what they want with it. Um, the, the good thing and the bad thing is that about the industry right now is that everybody wants more bourbon and there's not enough to go around. And we did not realize this even 10 years ago when the boom first hit, that the boom would be even bigger now still to this day. So your, you know, your prices aren't controlled by your producers. So it's very easy to say, well, like, well, screw Sazerac for selling it for this much. Like nobody gave them that price point, you know, um, the market will do what it wants to do more or less. Um, so, you know, uh, just, just be patient uh, with the, with the bourbon game and, and, and try to, you know, buy your bourbon, open it, share it with friends because we're not here for bragging rights. We're here to enjoy bourbon together. So that's, that's, that's all I can say about that. Nice. Well, that's adequate. All right. We're going to wrap it up there. We're 20 minutes over, Sam. Thank you for your generosity with your time and uh, your perspective. Uh, I know squad enjoyed it. We had a high level of engagement, a uh, high level of audience retention this evening. So it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we could connect and hopefully we'll get to do something cool with me learning how to get off my butt and actually make some pretty rad cocktails, which my wife would really appreciate because she loves a bourbon cocktail way more than just straight bourbon. She doesn't like the intensity generally of bourbon, but she loves a really amazing bourbon cocktail. I so, love that idea. We should yeah, do that. I owe it to her. I owe, I owe her so much, but I owe her <laughs> at least this little thing. <laughs> yeah. I support it. All right. Well, we'll wrap it there, Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, your comments, your participation in the live stream. If you're catching this on entryproofpodcast.com or Spotify or wherever else, hey, thanks for tuning in. Um, you know, we'll try and drop something next week or maybe the week after. We're not 100% on the every week release because we got jobs and families and stuff. That's just the way it runs right now, which is fine, you know. We're down with it if you're down with it. But um, what you can count on is content every week from the Droopy Whiskey channel or the Abandoned Bourbon channel. Um, so make sure you're following those on YouTube. That's where you can get steady content and live streams every Thursday night. I see my video cutting in and out. This is a good time to hang it up. So y'all have a good rest of your evening. Stay healthy, stay safe, and remember to keep it neat. Cheers, everybody. Sam, thanks again for all of your time. My pleasure. Had so much fun.